This is the Manga Mavericks podcast from allcomic.com, episode 123. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm um, Ramiyasha, and boy, wouldn't you know it, we have even more news. It just does not stop. It never stops. It never does. I mean, we have some big news to talk about. We've got the Oricon list for the first half of the year to talk about. We've got more book scan lists. We got the New York Times list. Series are ended in droves over on Manga Plus. Wow, there is a lot to talk about in terms of the industry and exciting stuff on the horizon and surprising stuff. So we got to get into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this will... I think this will just be another news episode, but you know what? We got a lot of really, really big news to talk about, so I, I think we should be fine. Indeed. And I think we'll start off with possibly some of the biggest news, or at least an event on this show whenever we get a chance to cover it, and that is the Oricon chart. We've got the chart for the top selling manga in Japan by series for the first half of 2020. And so why don't we count this down 10 to 1. Now, a bit of a disclaimer here that Oricon themselves on their website in ANN, they did not post the full top 10 on their public sites. So we are kind of going off for the bottom half of this list here from the unofficial Weekly Shonen Jump Twitter's rankings from their data collection, from how they collected the data from Oricon. So just keep that in mind, but I trust their news and insight and ability to get the right numbers. So let's start off here at number 10, and we've got a newcomer in this top 10, and a series that is only barely over a year old. That's right, we've got Spy Family here on the Oricon chart with over a million copies sold a million seven hundred ninety six thousand seven hundred and fifty nine copies that is an insane amount of copies to have sold barely a year after the series first came out last year spy family already a mega hit even without an anime adaptation it is growing up into a sensation the likes of which we have not seen in a long long time now now just imagine if it did have an anime oh it is going to explode once that anime comes in sales, I guarantee you. If it is doing this well now, I can only imagine what that increase in visibility, how that will amplify the amount of people coming in droves to pick up copies of this series. Everyone loves Spy Family. It has no haters. <laughs> it is just universally admired and adored. It is a huge hit. I am excited to see how it continues to grow in its success going forward. At number 9, we've got a series bumped up thanks to its recent anime in the winter season. Toilet-bound Hanako-kun sent over 2,138,000 copies. Hanako-kun is a great series, and definitely I'm glad the anime has helped boost its visibility because it's a really cute horror actions title with some really great characters and a great aesthetic so glad to see the manga having some more love next we've got attack on titan at number seven it feels like titan's dropping a bit as it's headed towards its ending but then again it's still in the top 10 here with 2,212,000 copies sold Will I get a boost when that final season comes out? Will I get a boost when the story is over and people want to check out the ending we will see 
But right now it ranks here kind of in the middle of the bottom half, the top ten. Right up next to it is another series that is ending pretty soon, but still going strong. Hi Q! Almost at 3 million copies, just falling short with 2,996,000 copies sold. Hi Q, of course, has been in its final arc for a while, in its final game, which has been absolutely great. A pleasure to read week to week with fantastic character payoffs, great thematic payoffs. Heading towards a really beautiful ending as the final game winds down to a close. We'll see where Haikyuu is here at the end of the year. But it's doing pretty strong. We'll also see, now that this series is over, where it's going to land at the end of the year. The Promised Neverland, number 6 here. It's 3,102,000 copies sold. Neverland has never lost its luster for Japanese fans. Even do uh, American fans probably never want to touch it again after <laughs> its final arc. It never landed for them, but for Japanese fans, they never abandoned Neverland. They still are enthusiastic about it, still buying it in a huge volume of numbers, and we will see. I think that it will continue to have strong sales through the back half of the year as the final volumes are released. So, yeah, Neverland, we will talk about it later, but... At least in terms of its commercial success, it's ended on a strong note. Also, continuing to be a great commercial success is My Hero Academia, number 5 on this list with 3,339,000 copies sold. MHA has been in one heck of an arc recently that I think has gotten people excited, and I think it just continues to hold strong as, like, a really consistently popular title, as is Kingdom at number four here with three hundred uh, three million five hundred thousand copies sold. Kingdom, of course, is a series we don't really know a whole lot here in the U.S. because it is not officially licensed. But Kingdom fans are extremely loyal. They have stuck with the series for so long and continue to help it rise to success. So. No surprise it's continuing to hang strong in the top five. I'm a little disappointed that this ranks here at number three instead of number five, the quintessential quintuplex. <laughs> a perfect five, 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 five would have been really poetic. And even more disappointingly, it has not sold even five million copies in this first half of 2020. It only sold 4,240,000 copies. But regardless, Quintessential Quintuplets ended strong. People seem to have really liked the ending. It had a cute final chapter where the main character chose the right sister out of the five in the lineup because he knows them so well. So, yeah, people seem to really respond a lot to Quintessential Quintuplets. It was a, quite a big rom-com success for Shonen Magazine. And it ended pretty strong. But a lot of enthusiasm coming in numbers three here. I mean, just shy of what One Piece sold in the first half of 2020, coming in at number two, believe it or not. One Piece ain't number one. But it sold 4,885,000 copies. One Piece, you know, obviously is the perennial popular manga title. Its success is no surprise. What is a surprise is not only that it is beaten at the number one spot, but by such a huge volume. Because the number one for the first half of 
2020 has sold over 10 times more than One Piece, almost 11 times more copies than One Piece in just six months. And that, of course, is Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba coming in number one, Raiden King slaying down the competition with 45,297,000 copies sold. That is an insane amount to have sold. That has set the record for any manga series what that has sold in a six-month period. By far, it is crazy to think about these sales when you think about the fact that the series only had 3.5 copies in print last year. If we were to compare with last year, top five, top ten for the first half of 2019... Demon Slayer ain't even in that top 10. No. But One Piece came in that top 10 as number one with just 5 million copies sold in that same time period last year. Where One Piece has dropped in a year, Demon Slayer has sold like 15 times more. And the disparity in the amount of copies One Piece sold last year to what Demon Slayer sold in the same time period last year is like 40 million copies. That is insane, unprecedented number. What a stark difference and increase. Like, Demon Slayer ended as a phenomenon. It is going to be remembered like as one of Jump's like biggest hits ever, for sure. One of probably the most interesting, huge manga successes of its time. Oh boy. Um, it's probably also worth mentioning. Uh, I mean, usually we don't talk about, uh, Oricon's like top 10 manga by like volume in particular, just because personally, I think it's a little redundant to go over those, but like, just, just so you know, I, I think the only thing keeping Demon Slayer from like completely, like 100% dominating the list is that, uh, there are 25 spots in that list in particular, and Demon Slayer is only 23 volumes. Yeah, well, Demon Slayer dominates most of that top 20 there. The only other volumes in that top 25 for the first half of 2020 are the latest two One Piece volumes coming at 2021 and the latest Attack on Titan volume coming at 23 and the latest Kingdom volume coming at 25. So 21 spots out of the top 25 are all Demon Slayer. Demon Slayer dominated the sales charts for the first half of 2020. That's that's nuts. It is. It's like something we have not seen before in Oricon's history. Even in One Piece's boom, it did not sell this much in just a six-month time period. And certainly, to go from where Demon Slayer was last year to where it is now is so stark and something we just have not ever seen happen as the Oricon has been around. You know what? Looking back on when we covered the uh, the initial first couple of chapters of Demon Slayer on the podcast, I feel I feel I feel like a moron not thinking that uh, <laughs> that I, I I really didn't think it would like last honestly. But uh, here I am in in the year of our Lord twenty twenty four years later. It's crazy, because Demon Slayer struggled early on, like, in catching reader attention and in sales, but Jump believed in it, it persisted, it grew an audience, and then it exploded in audience once that anime came out and amplified visibility to it, like, not just in Japan, but around the world. 
And it goes to show the value of investing in a series and giving it time to find itself and really come into its own. Because you never know what could blow up into like the next huge big hit. And I think that's why we're seeing Jump try and be a little more lenient towards new series to try to give them a push wherein they see that they have potential. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, th- this really just goes to show the power of anime as well. Good anime, I should say. Like, really yes. good anime uh, can do for a manga. But uh, I also like to think uh, that we could probably thank Togashi a little bit for this, because uh, he, he saw the potential in Demon Slayer very early on. I think he... He basically gave it uh, the series uh, his thumbs up, like, really early on, I think. He definitely endorsed it early on, and I think, you know, that caught some initial early attention to it, for sure. But I think it's also just speaks to the strength of Demon Slayer itself, its own story, that it attracted so many fans. And then when that story was, like, enhanced even further with the anime, it attracted thousands upon thousands more. Oh, yeah. I kind of wonder if Spy Family will be like the next thing, uh, next big series to do that, possibly. I mean, Spy Family has already started off as such a big success as a manga. Perhaps that what the anime can do for it isn't even that much. Maybe it's already incredibly visible, but I think we will see. I think Spy Family definitely has like huge market penetration potential outside of just the anime manga fan bubble so i think that's where like a huge market is and i think that's where it could really find like explosive success in the same way as demon slayer oh yeah for sure um i guess is there anything else about uh this year's list that we want to mention um i think besides demon slayer you know, doing explosively well and stuff like, you know, Spy Family and Hanako-kun doing pretty well. Um, I'm not sure if there's anything else we want to mention. I think that about covers it. I mean, Demon Slayer sales is like the biggest news by far. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Demon Slayer is so big that it's even translated into uh, Oricon's top-selling light novels. That is true. Demon Slayer's novels are also dominated the light novels. That is how big a multimedia hit it is. But I guess to go over the light novel rankings for the first half of 2020, you've got Classroom of the Elite at number 10 at 150,000. We've got the Rascal series at number 9 with 173,000. We've got Konosuba at number 8 at 223,000. My Teen Romantic Comedies, Nafu at number 7 with 256,000. Re-Zero at number 6 with 264,000. Overlord at number 5 with 264,000. Just barely a smidgen of difference of like 200 so copies between Overlord and ReZero there. We've got Kuzuria no Hotori Gocho, which is a title that is new to me. And I don't know if it has been adapted into anime yet, but that comes in at number four with 317,000. We've got that time I got reincarnated as a slime at number three with 327,000. Sword Art Online at number two, 377,000. And yes, again, a multitude times more sales for number one. Here, Demon Slayer's novels coming in with 1,199,000 copies sold. Just spread across two books, too. Uh, wow. Uh, also, the just looking at um, the top-selling light novels from, like, not e- ju- just even, like, six months ago, 
Demon Slayer novels were like play, place number ten on on that previous list, so they shot all the way up. They sold three times as many copies in the last six months. That is really impressive. <laughs> um, I guess as for everything else, uh, I mean it's mo- mostly the same. I mean we got stuff like Sword Art Online and Slime Overlord. And uh, yeah. I mean, it's Re-Zero. mostly the big heavy hitters that we've come to expect. It's interesting to see where Overlord and Kinesuba are just because those series are done pretty much like they've ended or are ending in the case of Overlord. So it's kind of interesting to see where they're at right now, since we probably may not see them much in the future. But yeah, I mean, I they both seem to have ended, you know, within the top 10, still among the most popular light novel titles around. Mm-hmm. Kind of interesting how I, I a pretty big, like, thing missing from this current list is, uh, is it wrong to pick up girls in a dungeon? I know that was pretty popular for a while. I think it still might be popular. I'm not sure. I think the anime is. It's still a pretty popular franchise, but it is interesting that it has dropped from the top 10, but I think Team Slayer probably is the thing that pushed it out. I'm also really interested in what uh, Hitori Goto is all about. Uh, I'm just looking it up right now. Apparently the title roughly translates to uh, The Pharmacist Monologue, so maybe it's like a... Maybe it's like a... I don't know, just from the title alone, like a Mushishi kind of series almost maybe possibly it certainly seems intriguing by the cover so yeah i am interested it's been around for a while uh, 10 years almost so it's not necessarily a new title mm, but that is, that is interesting it is a title that seems to have some recent new success and, yeah, I'm surprised for something that has been running so long, it has not received an anime adaptation. It has some manga, but I don't think those manga are licensed. So it is like something unfamiliar to me, not something I've heard talked about a lot. But potentially yeah, with this increase in sales, we could see it get adapted sometime in the near future. And then hopefully we'll learn more about it. But, yeah, I mean, uh, talk about shakeups with the Oricon, like, seriously. Oh, yeah. Huge upheavals. Now, now let's let's see if Demon Slayer can have that same kind of power over here in North America. Maybe, possibly. I don't know. We'll have to see. I, I don't. I, it might be the only thing that could take on my hero academia over here so far. So why don't we just get on to uh, the book scan list for the month of May? And so, yeah, uh, starting from the top of the list, uh, at number two, we have a Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba Volume Twelve. Uh, the other volumes on this list include Volume 1 at number 5 and Volume 2 at number 14. So only three volumes of Demon Slayer on this list, but that's still like one or two more than we saw last time, I believe, if I remember correctly. Yeah, these sales are picking up. We're seeing more representation of Demon Slayer on the book scan list. And not only that, I mean, we were seeing the newest Demon Slayer volume rank above My Hero Academia volume. So I think Demon Slayer's success in Japan is finally starting to translate over here into the U.S. in terms of manga sales. And as like more books come out, I mean, Biz is releasing a book a month for the next couple months. I think we may see even more representation on this list and potentially rivaling MHA. 
Um, speak, speaking of My Hero Academia, let's just get to number three on the list here with Volume 1 of My Hero Academia, uh, with Volume 2 coming in at number four, uh, Volume 23 ranking at number seven, with Volume 22 ranking at number 10, Volume 3 ranking at number 11, uh, Volume 4 ranking at number 16, with Volume 5 coming in at number 18, and Volume 21 coming in at uh, 19. So what what's that's about uh six, seven volumes of My Hero Academia, if I'm counting correctly? E- I think so. Eight maybe? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yep, eight. Yep. That's eight volumes of My Hero Academia on this list. Forty percent of the top twenty and half of the manga on the list. So MHA <laughs> sells its weight. At this point, I'm just wondering if we'll ever see an end to My Hero Academia's reign. Probably not for the foreseeable future. <laughs> I imagine MHA will continue to truck on strong for a long time to come, as the manga only continues to consistently do well. For sure. Uh, all right, but as for literally everything else on this list, uh, at number six, we have Junji Ito's Uzumaki Hardcover Edition at number six. Again, Uzumaki in particular just seems to be consistently doing well every month for this past year. Yeah, Uzumaki was always Ito's like most popular title over here, but definitely recently we have been seeing a lot more interest in Uzumaki and seeing like an uptick in sales. I do think that could be attributable to the announcement of the anime last year and people like knowing about it and deliberately seeking it out. And that being a comic that is now a lot of people in the broader community of comics are seeking it out and reading it, perhaps. It's entered kind of that pantheon of like evergreen books that is just consistently doing well, it seems. Like kind of like Watchmen and whatnot. Hmm, that is interesting. I'm going to make a prediction that Uzumaki will shoot up to the top five at the very least once that anime's out. Potentially, I think there's even more people still that could get introduced to it from watching it on television or hearing about it and watching it on streaming and then seek out the original comic. Please, I hope that still comes out this year. I really want to watch it so badly. Anyway, uh, continuing on at number eight, we have a volume six of Paru Itagaki's Beastars. Uh, along with the first volume at number 17. So Beastars starting to pick up a little more traction, it seems. Yeah, we were seeing both the first volume and the most recent volume on this list. So I think, again, Beastars got a lot of attention. A lot of people are checking out the manga to see what happens next in the story. I wonder if we'll see the same effect on um, on Doro Hedoro in particular. Potentially. I guess we'll have to check next month's list. Uh, at number 13, we have uh, Splatoon Volume 9. Uh, which uh, usually does pretty well on this list. It, it, it's 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 frequent enough from time to time. Um, and then, uh, uh, last but not least, we have JoJo's Bizarre Adventure: Diamond Is Unbreakable. That is part four of JoJo, uh, volume five, ranking at the bottom of the list at number twenty. So again, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, another very uh, frequent edition on this list. Uh, there's usually a volume on here every month or so. So definitely. I'm- I feel like uh, part four in particular, Diamond is Unbreakable, has been doing quite well. We're seeing every volume rank for at least a little while on the book scan list. I don't remember seeing that for Stardust Crusaders. So I just think that's an interesting trend that part four is doing particularly really well in sales. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, you also have to consider part three was also already had a, um, a previous manga, you know, release from this like way, way, uh, like a long time ago at this point. Sure, but they're premium hardcovers with better translations and whatnot. And also part three is popular, but Diamond may be more popular with fans overseas. I mean, quite possibly, I could see that. I still also think that, you know, part four of the manga in particular is obviously like that that that's not a part of the manga we've had here before so i think that definitely helps mm-hmm. and it's also where araki definitely has come into his own with the artwork it looks really great like compared to phantom blood and battle tendency which also before viz had picked them up for the hardcovers had not come over here like those are still a little rougher but I think definitely now that we're in, like, the territory where, like, the series is, like, in the established, like, storytelling style and with, like, the most beautiful kind of style of Araki's art, we definitely see a lot more people flock to pick the books up. I'm really, I, I know this isn't going to happen for a while, but, like, I'm I'm interested in seeing how part five does in particular. Indeed. I think that once they finish Diamond, I mean, they're just going to continue doing all the series, like, in order. So we still have a while yet before they finish Diamond is Unbreakable. It'll end with nine omnibus volumes. So I think probably late next year they'd start Vento Oreo, Golden Wind. So I guess we just have to wait till next fall or so for that to happen. I guess so. Um, I'll be very excited when that happens. But until then, uh, that's that's really about it for the book scan list. Uh, again, a lot of my Hero Academia on the list. Not that's, that's not surprising at this point. Uh, again, a- out of everything on this list, like we said, a Demon Slayer might be the only thing to be able to like give my Hero Academia some much needed competition over here in the states. I think. I think so, especially as we head into the New York Times list and we see, you know, what ranks number one over there for manga, at least. Demon Slayer Volume 12 comes in at number 11 on the New York Times uh, graphic books and manga bestseller list for early June. Yeah, and that's that's really about it for that list. Mm-hmm. Only manga on there. Usually these NYT lists really only have one manga title. But yeah, I mean, consistent across the New York Times list and the Bookscan list, Demon Slayer Volume 12, like the highest selling recent manga title, and definitely a title to look out for is Demon Slayer just, you know, continues selling in the US. We still have 11 more volumes to go, so potentially by the end of that, yeah, let's see if Demon Slayer rivals MHA in representation on this Bookscan list. I mean, uh, just just a few thoughts on the New York Times list. I mean, uh, obviously the trend here is wh- whatever's ranking at the top of the book scan list is gonna is, is possibly gonna be the only thing on the on the New York Times list. Usually, usually, sometimes there are some interesting outliers, but yeah, it's generally the case. Sometimes there might even be two volumes of manga on the list. And then two, you know, I'm I'm interested in seeing if any manga can rival Raina Taugemeier's sales at all. I I kind of doubt it, honestly, from the way her stuff sells in particular. But like, it would be interesting to see. Yeah, I don't know because I mean, so the book scan list that we go over specifically, you know, measures what is selling with adult audiences. Like, technically, it is like the adult graphic novels list. 
that we are looking at the rankings for. And so New York Times' list is for like all comic sales, which includes the kids market and Telgemeier's works and a lot of the other books that we see rank on this list, you know, are books that do extremely well with younger audiences. And I think that's the key difference there is that, you know, most manga, it just skews just a bit older than what like the middle grade crowd is really reading and where the bulk of the sales are in the comics market, at least as far as New York Times measures. So I, I think that's the key difference between how we look at these lists and also the key difference in like how well series do. So potentially if there was like a manga that, you know, was aimed more towards like middle grade, younger readers and, you know, could have that potential. Uh, I mean, that could, you know, work its way up there, but, like, as it stands, like, Telgemeier is a household name for, like, families, and there's also just a ton of, like, fantastic middle-grade comic books coming out, like, consistently, so it's, it's a tough crowd to, like, break in, and that's not really where manga is necessarily competing in terms of who it's being marketed to, so. That's true, yeah. It may or may not be a pipe dream, quite honestly, but... yeah. But I mean, it also comes down to like you know what what's 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 considered I guess appropriate for like kids over in Japan is significantly more different than what we consider appropriate for children and middle schoolers I guess over here for sure. So mm-hmm. I think there's just that difference content wise. So again, yeah, uh, we got to take that into consideration. But uh, that's really about it for the New York Times list. Not really much else to comment on there but uh we still have some pretty big news to cover as far as the eisners go lum if you want to cover those yeah speaking of lists and speaking of comparing comics of all sorts the eisners have announced their nominees for their next awards ceremony this year and they got a few different titles nominated in different categories. The Way of the House Husband by Kosuke Ono has been nominated for the Best Humor Publication category. Yeah. They got a copy. My Solo Exchange Diary Volume 2 is nominated for the Best Reality-Based Work category. Go Tanabe's HP Lovecraft's At the Mountain Modernist Volumes 1 and 2 is nominated alongside Stan Sakai's Yusaki Yojimba Complete Grasscutter Artist Select Comic for Best Adaptation from Another Medium. Shinichi Abe's that Miyoko Asagaya Filling is also nominated with Sakai's Comic for Best Archival Collection Project Comic Book Award. And also, Sakai is also nominated for Yusaki Jimbo in Best Lettering Category. And then, the Women's Manga in Asia and Beyond Uniting Different Cultures and Identities book, edited by Fusami Ogi, Rebecca Suter, Kazumi Nagake, and Jean A. Lent, is nominated in the Best Academic Scholarly Work Category. So, it's about five manga titles uh, that are competing for the best U.S. edition of International Material Asia Award with a sixth nominee also being Kelm Sukdendri Kim's Grass, but the five manga titles uh, nominated are Beastars, Cats of the Louvre by Taya Matsumoto, Magic Night Rayer 25th Anniversary Edition, The Poe Clown by Moto Hagio, and Witch Hat Atelier by Kamome Shirahama. So voting is open to all comic book professionals until June 18th, when it will be announced in July. Uh, the selection process, interestingly, took uh, two months longer than normal because judges stayed in their homes during lockdown instead of interacting in person. I mean, you think it could just Skype call this thing, but uh, I guess not. I guess it took 
a clonker. Maybe watch where they sending physical letters to each other, and so that's why I had to take longer. Uh, regardless, uh, the ceremony's still gonna happen uh, in July, but it's gonna be like a Comic Con at home type event, so it's probably gonna be streamed this time. Also, uh, Moto Hagio and Keiji Nagazawa are among 14 uh, nominees for the Will Eisner Comic Awards Hall of Fame. And if they are inducted, they will join the ranks of Osamu Tezuka, Kazuo Koike, Gozeki Kojima, Hatsuro Otomo, and Rumiko Takahashi as previous mangaka inductees into the Hall of Fame. But yeah, a lot of different manga representation in the list these times, because they aren't just kind of confined to the best U.S. edition of international material category. We saw representation in several different categories this time, which is really nice. I'm glad that manga is kind of outside of like that one bubble that for so long the actors like confined them to, and now they are like really considering comics from all parts of the world for every category now. Oh yeah, for sure. Like I'm, I'm really glad that Way of the House Husband got that inclusion in Best Humor Publication because it is, it's pretty funny. You know, I think it deserves it. Uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of like the, the I guess the general manga and Best U.S. Edition of uh, International Material Asia. Uh, man, I'm personally, I'm kind of rooting for B Stars. I think, I think B Stars deserves another award personally. So. It's tough because Beastars is up against, you know, some classics here with Magic Knight Greyyard, Poe Clan. And I kind of feel, man, because of the legacy of those series and their authors, you kind of want to give it to them. But also it's competing against Witch Hat Atelier, which is an absolutely beautiful and incredible comic. So uh, this is a really great category because these are all amazing works and I'd be happy with any one of them winning. So, I mean, this is like a really great selection this year. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll, we'll definitely be talking about the winners uh, once they're announced uh, on a later episode of the podcast down the line. So stay tuned. Mm-hmm. But we're done with lists now as we head into serialization news. And let's talk before we get into a bunch of like jump related stuff. We have like a Sunday title that is ending, or at least it's going to be ending soon, with Sobate Must Be Destroyed by Kazuhiro Fujita. It is entering its final arc with the 18th volume that is slated to come out in July. It's interesting because Fujita said back in April 2018 that it was on the verge of the final arc and there were only one or two mountains to climb, but it has taken two years to actually get to the point of the final arc. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, this will end after... It's been running for a few years now, since 2016, but it seems like it'll end a bit shorter than Fujita's previous works, which made it into, like, at least the 30s of volumes as far as, like, his big Sunday stuff. You know, I've really wanted to read this. I follow Bomber's tweets about it, and I am super, super intrigued by it. I wish that it was licensed. Maybe the shorter length will encourage publishers to take a chance on it. Please, we need more Fujita. I really want to read this so badly. Indeed, but it is heading towards its end, and hopefully people will give it a look and a publisher will license it. But something that has just ended recently was Domestic Girlfriend by Kei Sasaga. And wow, that Domestic Girlfriend ending. I will 
<laughs> say that I was not following the series very closely, but I had heard of what was going on as it was heading towards end, so I checked it out. And man, that is such a weird way to kind of have your cake and eat it too, and having the main character get together with both leads, technically. But it's strange. He has a child with one of them, but he marries the other. Huh. Uh... It's a very strange family situation when you also take in the fact that this was a series about him trying to get together with his stepsisters, one of whom was also his teacher at the very beginning. And at the end, uh, that's what happens. He got with his teacher. <laughs> his older stepsister who was also his teacher, and he had a child with his younger stepsister. And <laughs> they she and the way that they had to justify it was so strange because so like the older so originally he was gonna marry the younger sister because he got her pregnant so they were gonna get married but then you know there was whole this whole scandal thing where like this guy was gonna expose the main character and stuff so the older sister was like interfered but then like she got into an accident that got her into a coma and so they called off the wedding. And then she was, like, in a coma for, like, six years or so. Like, because by the time that she comes out of her coma, like, their kid is, like, a young kid. But, like, they live together and take care of her while she's in her coma for, like, many years. And then, like, he confesses to her while in the coma that he wants to marry her. And then, like, the next day she wakes up and then they get married. But then they still live in the same house with the younger sister and their kid it's just such a strange ending and weird way to take the story. Uh, it is like delightfully trashy and bizarre. <laughs> uh, uh, so even though, though, that this ending went in a weird direction, uh, don't harass the author. Though. So that's kind of really shitty that people do on Twitter is that they harass the author, Kei Sasaga, because they didn't like the direction the story took. And so she did actively have to, like, comment on it and tweet on it. But, like, yeah, it's like, you know, come on. Just because you don't like how something ends, that isn't, like, an invitation to, like, harass the creator. You're, like, that is really gross. So don't do that. But anyway, Domestic Girlfriend, very strange series. Like, reading the ending, I do want to, like, read the ride to that ending and go through that 200 70-ish chapter bizarre journey. This, this sounds like something we need to talk about on the show. Yeah, I think it would be something fun just to like react to how bizarre it is. You know, honestly, I was just thinking I th we covered we cover too many good manga on the show. We, we need more trashy stuff. Man, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, it's trashy but it's like readably trashy. It's like the art is gorgeous. So it's like Man, so weird. It's like the series is so beautifully well drawn, but the story is like utter weirdness. Uh, I mean, some sometimes, sometimes it's good. It's it's. I think it's okay to dumpster dive every once in a while, you know. Yeah, yeah, but also again, don't harass the creator. No, don't do that. That's awful. This happened with We Never Learned, too, yeah. before the announcement of, like, the alternate roots thing. And it's like, don't take, like, who gets with who so seriously, for one thing. But also, have 
some respect for other people and don't be crappy to them just because you don't like how their story that you know you are reading for entertainment is turning out like come yeah on. The, these these people need to donate to the uh please 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 get a life foundation yeah you are not entitled to have the author's story end in the way you and you alone want it like it's their story yeah just don't be shitty online just I don't know how hard that is, but apparently most people, that that's, 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 that's just hard for them, I guess, you know? Yeah, it's unfortunate. But anyway, Domestic Girlfriend ended, I don't know if you could, I don't know if it's a high note that it ended on, but it ended. <laughs> Sadly, we are going to be talking about some series that definitely ended before they were meant to. Yeah, so um, we have a lot of stuff that's been ending on Manga Plus and therefore, I guess, Jump Plus in this case. So yeah, the, the first thing that uh, unfortunately ended a couple weeks back at the end of May was uh, Anya Man's uh, East Into the Night, which, you know, I haven't had the chance to catch up, but I was really surprised to see this end so soon. I thought this series had more legs, honestly. Unfortunately, it ended because of very poor sales of the first volume. It was cancelled. I think the thing that disappoints me the most about East Into the Night ending in particular is because, uh, and I mean, look, I, I get that full-colored manga aren't, like, they're not, like, rare by any means, but, like, uh, East in the Night was so unique just because, like, it really, it's a series that, like, really hinges on on the use of its color, which is uh, the reason why I thought it was so interesting in the first place. Um, and I, I, I guess it's just kind of disappointing to me that uh, something so unique had to uh, had to come to an end so soon, uh, just in general. And uh, I really wanted to see, like, how far I could go based on that, but... I don't know. Uh, ho hopefully I'll get to finishing it soon, since it's so short. But uh, yeah, I mean, in general, I, I hope Man comes back for more work, because uh, I really liked what they were doing. So, I don't know. We'll see. Indeed. But uh, next up, we have a Spotless Love. Uh, this love cannot be any more beautiful. Uh, that ended just recently. Um, I never got around to reading this, unfortunately. I don't know if you have any thoughts, Lum. Unfortunately, I was not able to catch up on all these. I liked all of these series from what I had read of them. But yes, I mean, I don't have much more to add on right now because I, I'm not caught up. I think it would be cool in the future to catch up on these and compare them. One thing I do know as we're going to talk about is Tina Change actually had a very, you know, complete feeling ending. So I think that w was really nice, you know, from what I've been hearing from the grapevine about how he he knew change had progressed. Like the story went in a really great direction and it ended on a really satisfying note. So I think that was good. And from what I heard, Spotless Love also had a pretty, you know, satisfying ending, at least based on what I had seen from Maxi tweeting about it at the very least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, just to speak on Hina Change, I was surprised to see that ended. I I remember really liking the first couple of chapters of that series. I I really need to catch up on it. Uh, the yeah. on, honestly, out of all the stuff ending on Manga Plus recently, th this one might be the like, uh, this one might be the one I'm kind of interested in catching up on the most. Um, just because it it really grabbed me. Uh, the first time I read it. 
and then uh, last but not least, we have The Sign of Abyss from Maya Takamura. That was one I didn't really get a chance to read either, so I don't really have much to, much to say on that one in particular. But yeah, I mean, just in general, all this stuff ending on Manga Plus makes me wonder if uh, it makes me wonder about whether they're going to pick up any more stuff. I mean, I'm sure they'll pick up more stuff, but like, I don't know. I'm I'm just kind of interested in like what other stuff from Jump Plus they'll put on Manga Plus in the future. I'm sure there are plenty of titles that are untranslated as of this that they could add. So I would be curious. I hope they would add more series just because, you know, this, these are like four series ending kind of in a short span of, of each other. So that would be you know nice to have some new stuff to read too. But these are all pretty short series. So hopefully we can get caught up on them before the end of the year and talk about them a little more. You know, heck, maybe we could do a special episode on them well we'll see but i I was i was just thinking i I would love to do an episode on some of these series now that they have like full runs and stuff and actually like maybe talk about them at some point uh that's just an idea for the future We'll, we'll have to see but i would like to yeah i guess just getting to uh getting to the big one we 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 kind of we kind of mentioned it offhand during the oricon list but uh by the time you are listening to this episode the promised neverland will have ended in issue 28 of Shonen Jump with, um, I don't know how many chapters. Chapter 181. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and uh, I gotta be honest, I'm I'm very behind on The Promised Neverland. Well, a lot of people have been just kind of begging for Promised Neverland to end already. Like, people are <laughs> were very disappointed in the direction it took in the final arc and the way it has wrapped things up. It's true and it's cheap kind of, oh, here's a consequence, except not really thing in, like, the latest chapters that I've already seen spoilers. Basically, it does not matter at all in the actual final chapter. So it's like, it had a very neat ending, but it also felt very unearned because basically by the end of the series, like everything just worked out for all the characters just due to kind of cheap conveniences. And it was just frustrating to read because also the conflict just became uninteresting because of how easy things went and because of how uninteresting the antagonists were. See, that's a real shame because, like, and, I mean, we're we're going to do a Promised Neverland episode at some point. We've been wanting to do one for a while, but it just kind of got to a point where, like, you know, announcements of the final arc started popping up, and we were just kind of like, oh, well, we might as well just wait till this ends, you know? But now that it's ended, I would like to, I would like to do, like, what we're doing with Food Wars soon, maybe give it some time to spend away from Promised Neverland and, like, come back to it at some point. Um, but right now I, uh, I mean, like I said, I'm behind on it, so I'm not like 100% on like what's going on at the moment, but from what I've been hearing, yeah, like even, even, even before, uh, I started kind of getting behind on it, you know, we, uh, for, for our patrons, you know, we, we kind of talked a little bit about how we felt about the promised Neverland on our, uh, on our end of jump year special at the end of, uh, 2019 there. If you're a patron, you listen to that. But uh, yeah, we kind of talked about it. I'm I've been feeling kind of eh, on the Promised Neverland for really the past year, honestly. Like I really think ever since the whole like 
demons are people too thing started popping up, which I'm still kind of collecting my thoughts on that. I mean, that was obvious from like kind of the start, the demons are people too thing, right? I mean, that's an obvious direction for the story to take. I don't think that's a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I just, I still don't know if I feel like it was 100% earned, honestly. Um, and that, see, that's the kind of thing I want to see how I feel on a reread. Well, they don't explore, like, the conflict in an interesting way, that's the thing, right? I mean, yeah, yeah obviously the demons are people, too, in the sense that, yeah, they they have their own lives, they have, like, and, their own and thoughts, that should that should be an needs, interesting concept. And the conflict is like, oh, the demons need to eat, you know, human flesh, you know, to maintain their bodies and to maintain, like, their own, like minds but no actually they don't need to do that because there's this easy solution where they don't have to eat people that they can just use instead and oh we sort of have an idea where we can comment on how the wealthy hoard resources to keep people in line and in conflict with each other in order to maintain this hierarchical structure in society where they can keep the power at the top by denying like the lower class resources and stuff and keeping them in conflict. But no, it's no, we can just also have that whole issue be resolved very easily by a speech by a character coming out of nowhere, <laughs> convincing a crowd that at one moment was so very eager to see a bunch of characters die. And then, like, in one chapter, in the span of one chapter, one speech, they're like, oh, now you should become our queen. We are. We wanted to have you executed at the beginning of this chapter, but now by the end of this chapter, we realize you were wrong. We want you to be our queen. It's just so so convenient what an easy crowd everything that happens yeah like uh, the character writing in the series like it's observations of power structures uh it just really fell apart yeah i mean promise neverland i'm also kind of sad about because like man we've been we've been we've been reading the series for as for almost as long as we've been podcasting on manga mavericks so like oh uh, yeah i mean the series started within the first year of us podcasting like it's we started in january 2016 the series started in august 2016 like demon slayer was like the first jump start we ever covered which is pretty crazy when you think about it but like <sighs> promise neverland was really early in the run and we had so much high oats and for it like we were really invested in that first arc of the story and where it could go and we think thought everyone thought it could be like the next big thing like it's this next huge it was pretty big for a note, while like Kevl kind of story but it's it just completely derailed in this final arc i feel like i'm not even as negative on it as some people but like i think it completely dropped the ball on so many things in a really unsatisfying way yeah, and uh, honestly, the, it kind of makes me look forward to when we do an episode on this eventually because I, I really, I really feel like we, we, we could definitely spend an entire podcast talking about the Promise Neverland and you know how it started compared to how it ended. I think that'll be a really interesting conversation. But again, it's it's also the kind of thing where like, honestly, I'm like, I'm I'm like two months behind on it. Like, I don't even know if I want to finish it. Quite honestly, I like it's I I'm, I might just kind of wait until we podcast about it, which is kind of sad. I I'm, I'm just I'm sad that I'm not more excited about the ending of Promised Neverland, but I'm just kind of not at this point, which is really disappointing. 
I'm surprised you haven't seen any spoilers. Um, I've been pretty good about staying away from spoilers. Maybe like one minor one, but I, I don't want to say it here. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm very okay with taking a break from the Promised Neverland, which is not something I thought I'd be saying. You know, four years later. Yeah, it's always sad when a series that you know starts off so strong and everyone you know is super into and super believes in kind of just you know, falls off by the end to the point where, like, the people who are once, like, praising it so highly and so supportive of it are just, like, just wishing that it just would end already. It's very sad when that happens. And, oh, yeah, uh, for sure. But, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely talk about Promise Neverland again at some point. We will definitely have an episode on it at some point. But until then, another new batch of Shonen Jump series is coming. Lum, would you like to take that away? Yeah, we're starting off with a new series by Kentaro Yabuki that is going to be out by the time you're listening to this, Akayashi Triangle. It's a romantic comedy manga that is going to center around a character called Matsuri, protects his childhood friend Suzu from Akayashi, spirits or monsters. So it's kind of another ghost-busting type story. It's another one of those, like, supernatural type shonen series. Another exorcism series, huh? Yeah, exorcism type series. <laughs> uh, apparently the twist with this one is that the main character, Monster, gender bends. So that could be interesting. But yeah, it's sort of like romantic comedy action title. I'm hoping it leans more into the action and less into the edgy. I wanted more like Black Cat than to love Rue. <laughs> but we will see, I suppose. Uh, beyond Gabuki's new series, we've also got K Kamiki's Hakaishin Magu-chan, or Gotta Discussion Magu, which is going to come out on June 22nd. We have Ruhei Tamura, the Beast Above guys, next series, Red Hot Mirai Kanai. And this title refers to the mythical land Mirai Kanai in the Ryuki region of Japan. And that series launches on June 29th. And then lastly, we got Me and the Robot by Shuhei Miyazaki which is going to come out on July 6th. So it's pretty crazy. We just had a round of new series, and now we've got more new series coming. But with so many series ending in Jump, you got to have that fresh blood come in. But it's kind of amazing that like half the magazine is going to basically be series that started this year by the time the seventh of this, these new series come out, or the, the last of these uh, new round of four come out. Yeah, that that's insane. Um, God, it's gonna be. I I I mentioned our our year end like shut and jump retrospective for uh, for patrons only at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I I I kind of hope we get to do another one of those at the end of the year because it because the lineup's already going to be so different from uh from when we uh, last did that. So oh, that'll yeah. be interesting. Uh, I mean, in general, I. I I I think I think we should like I think we need to sit in sit in that uh in the fact that like you know Yabuki has come back to jump I think that is a pretty big deal. Yeah, I mean after being you know off doing Chula Rue stuff for so many years for Jump Square and then doing that during the Frank's manga adaptation for Jump Plus, it's nice to see him return with a new series where he is going to be writing the story of in Jump. For the first time in a long time, like 20 years since Black Cat. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I like Black Cat a lot. So, again, I want something more like Black Cat. Hopefully, this will be. 
Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'm I'm really hoping this new series from uh, Tamora does well. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it does better than their last series that they tried to do with like the gender bending princess. Yeah, H- Hungry Marie. Well, it it was kind of interesting, but I can see why it you know didn't last too long unfortunately um so i'm i'm very interested in getting something from tamora in english again i i, I wonder how many people still want beals above in english i feel i feel i just it's so weird to think that there was a time where like it feels like beals above was like one of those things that like all, like everybody was into or at least a lot of people i knew were really into it and then like that just kind of like came and went like, I don't really see anybody talk about Beelzebub anymore. The anime is still available on streaming, so people can watch that. But yeah, the manga is a surprise that it was never licensed back when it was, like, popular. I think it's only because Beelzebub is naked all the time, maybe. I mean, maybe. I don't know. But that, that, that's, that's, the, that's the only thing I could think of that was keeping Viz from picking it up possibly sure well it's been so long now that i don't know if it would get licensed unless it got like an anime reboot that was super popular or again maybe their next word becomes so popular that they want to be like oh let's pick up all this past tamura manga and uh release those but that's very unlikely i mean like even with the success of mha this has not picked up oh my god okay zoo or anything like that oh god boy do i want them to yeah so i mean we'll see if their new series is a hit at least more successful than their previous one Mm-hmm. i hope so but uh um i'm i'm always i'm always excited for a new batch of jump series so um definitely look forward to us talking about uh the first couple chapters of all of these at some point um, but I think that's about it for serialization news at this point. That indeed is it. So now we'll be heading into some licensing news. We'll start off with some titles from Yen Press. First off, we've got Sword Art Online Progressive Transient Baracol, which is just a continuation of the progressive story as they go through Aincrad. Uh, the fourth floor of Aincrad was transformed into a latisse of countless canals from its previous dried-up uh, riverbed look, so Azana and Kirito are going to need a gondola if they want to continue forward through that. So this is a continuation, you know, of you know previous progressive manga adaptations, continuing that story. We also got Heterogenia Linguistico by Salceno, which is about a rookie linguist who, after his professor is injured, is entrusted with his work and goes on a research trip to study the language of monsters and travels with his guide Suzuki into the complex world of interspecies communication. So this is an interesting manga, it seems, about like communicating with like different creatures in different languages. That's kind of like a cool fantasy take on that concept. And then finally, uh, out of this batch here, we got My Broken Mariko by Waka Hiraka, which is about a ill-tempered office assistant named Shino, whose uh, friend Mariko dies unexpectedly. And she becomes determined to get to the bottom of why she died of the mystery. 
And it's a story that portrays the soulful connection between the girls, a story of sisterhood and romance. And Yen is releasing this as a deluxe hardcover book. I think Marco is definitely the title I'm most interested too, based on both the cover and concept. And we've got some titles from Kodansha Comics, which is uh, including a bunch of Cells at Work spinoffs. I am sub- continually surprised at how many Cells at Work spinoffs there are. But yeah, these are all debuting digitally every Tuesday in July. Starting off with Cells at Work Bacteria by Akanashi Misu and Haruyuki Yoshida. That's going to be out on July 7th. It's going to be about the war between bacteria in your body and between them and outside invaders. And if bitter rivals Welk Basilius, leader of the bad bacteria, and Bifidobacterium, leader of the good, get their way, the battle for intestinal supremacy and safety are never going to end. So that's an interesting take on the cells at work universe. Like, we're not focusing on the cells, we're focusing on bacteria and the fighting in the intestines. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, next, we got a story about the platets. Uh, we got cells at work platets, platelets, Naikana Shimizu Yuko, Kakihara, and Yazu. That's going to be on July 14th. And it's basically what the title implies. It's about the platets and their job of closing wounds, which they do so with pride and hijinks. And then, because everything needs a baby spinoff, we got Cells at Work Baby by Akari Shimizu, Yasuhiro Fuguda, and that's going to be on July 21st. And yeah, it's basically about baby cells in a baby body. It's Cells at Work Babies. <laughs> we'll make your dreams come true. Um... I mean, honestly, like, uh, I I know that, like, the whole let's turn our characters in the baby versions, that, that's, a, that's, a, uh, that's, that's kind of a tired gimmick, but I, I, I like that, at least with this one, like, they have the excuse that, like, oh, let's, let's do a series about cells in a baby body, like, that's, you know, it doesn't feel, but they're, yeah. It's so weird, because they're just chibi versions of, <laughs> like, the cells, they're not, like, actual baby <laughs> five cells so it's like it's just like a weird premise and excuse to have like a chibi style manga of cells at work i mean that's true but also uh counterpoint you can't get anything done as an actual baby i mean come on no work would ever get done but wouldn't that be even funnier that they were actual babies trying to do all this (laughs) that would be that would be really funny i would love that actually well, anyway, Cells and Work spin-ups aren't the only thing Kodansha's releasing digitally in July. They're also releasing a spin-off at that time I got reincarnated as a slime. Called, uh, that time I got reincarnated again as a workaholic slime by Fuse Mitzvah Shizuku Akechi. That's gonna be out on July 28th. And it's basically gonna be about being reincarnated as a slime back into the corporate world. Which is hellish for Rimiru, but yeah, I mean, the rest of the slime fantasy crew are going to be working at the company too, so yes, Rimiru is back in business. I'm surprised there hasn't been an isekai like that yet, where it's like, I've been reincarnated as a as, as a salary man again. Yeah, reverse isekai story. That, actually, that, that, is, that is a pretty funny premise. I like that a lot, actually. Um, but yeah, I'll just again a lot of cells at work stuff. I'm, I have to imagine cells at work does pretty well for Kodansha if they're picking up all these spinoffs. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I haven't even read the original Souls of Work yet, so I mean, I don't think I'll get to these spin-offs before I get to sell that work. I've seen a bit of the anime. It's it's pretty interesting. I I, I, yeah. would, I would like to get more into it, honestly. Oh, no, definitely. I I still find it very strange, though, that I think that it, there are more volumes of these spin-offs combined than there are of the main series. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's just a lot, a lot of cells at work. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess that's true. There are a lot of cells at work in your body. Only fitting that there'd be a lot of cells at work manga. Um, but I guess we should move on to J Novel Club. Yeah, J Novel Club has announced that they have a new online reading portal in partnership with, uh, you know, Anime Planet. They have over 100 J Novel Club titles available for preview on there. So, yeah, if you want to go to Anime Planet and read some previews of over 80 light novels, series, and 20 manga series from J Novel Club, you can do so. And, yeah, Anime Planet's online reading portal is supported by major publishers in the industry, and J Novel Club will continue to work closely with Anime Planet to introduce more English-translated content to readers in the future. Very similar to what uh, I believe Kodansha and uh, Media Do is uh, doing with uh, my anime list, it seems. Seems so. It seems very similar. But also, J Novel Club announced some new licenses recently. They announced When the Clock Strikes Z by author Ichiro Sakaki and illustrator Katsudanso about a hardcore FPS enthusiast who pulls off his VR headset and steps aside for the first time in ages but realizes that the whole world is in ruins now. But then he runs into a horror junkie and the two of them team up to endure the zombie apocalypse. And then one night a VR AI known as Raven leaves him a cryptic message to survive and may humanity flourish again. So these ragtag oddballs are clinging to hope in a hopeless world. So basically about nerds just so in their own world that they didn't realize that the world turned apocalyptic around them while they were stuck inside playing games or watching movies or whatever, which is kind of a funny premise. Wow, this VR is really real. Then we've got Monster Tamer by Minto Higure and illustrator Napo, which is about a thousand high school students who are transported into an unfamiliar world rife with dangerous monsters and their survival becomes dependent on those who awaken to unexplainable powers. And the main character, Majima, is a normal second year student and they don't get any powers, but they join a group of students building the homestead. But when a group of empowered students revolt, Takahiro is left wandering the forest on the verge of death and having lost all faith in humanity, he finds salvation from an unlikely source, the monsters. So this could have potential in the sense like, hey, you are transported into a world of monster creatures. Like, hey, you're a classroom of kids transported into a world of Pokemon. What happens? You know, <laughs> that kind of idea. That could be pretty fun. I think this is more like a fantasy world with like game-like elements kind of thing. But, you know, uh, there's still some interesting aspects there, I guess. Yeah. Uh, then we got Nobiro Kusunoki and illustrator Ariko's epic tale of the reincarnated prince Hershirik. Which is the uh, life of a hardcore otaku whose, you know, life came to abrupt end for her 35th birthday. And then she was reincarnated as a beautiful prince in a fantasy world. 
But her dreamlike royal life didn't last long as she soon discovered the depths of politics and corruption in her kingdom. And so to protect the king and his people, she decides to conquer the darkness within the country. But she doesn't have any physical strength or magical powers, even though his uh, looks are surpassed by every other member of the royal family. But, you know, she perseveres as the prince and uses the skills that she acquired during his previous life, the experience of an oldest, uh, older office worker and her own drive for change and her talk of brain to help uh, win the day. So this is kind of an interesting, like, gender-bent reincarnation tale. Similar vibes to villainous in terms of, like, making things better in the world. But, yeah. I think this premise is quite cool. And then we've got Week Kita's uh, manga adaptation of We and Satsuki Shina's Biblophile Princess novels. Which is about a book-loving lady who spots a prince who is her betrothed in name only, consorting with another noble lady, and she realizes the rumors about him must be true. Uh, the prince has someone he truly loves, which means that the annulment of their engagement is inevitable and fast approaching. But she doesn't realize that this is just the merely of a service ripple and uh, one of many where truth runs deep in a conspiracy that surpasses her own imagination. So it seems like this is going to be like a winding conspiracy that starts with like potentially like a innocent observation of like an affair that actually there's so much deeper stuff going on around it. Mm-hmm. I really like the cover for this one. Oh yeah, very pretty. And then lastly, we've got the manga adaptation of Haruko, Momo, and Maro's Tales of Marial Cleric novels, which are being done by Alaska Pan. And it's about an unassuming noble's daughter who doesn't stand out, but she receives a marriage proposal from the sought-out uh, second-in-command of the Royal Order of Knights. So, kind of like a shy uh, girl who gets the attention of like someone who is pretty well-to-do in society. This girl looks a lot like Toru from uh, from Fruits Basket. Uh, in the sense that she has brown hair and a ribbon, I guess. Uh, I don't really see the resemblance. I I don't know. I, I thought her design looked kind of similar. Just put 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 the put the school uniform on her, and there you go. I don't know. I I, I can't be it. the only one that sees this. Mm, I guess leave a comment if you also believe <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I I think some of these are pretty cool. I think I'm probably the most interested in when the in uh, when the clock strikes Z. That sounds like it could be pretty fun. Yeah, I think the last few of these I think have premises that really interest me in particular. Uh, but yeah, I, clock strikes Z also seems kind of intriguing. I would like to see where that might go to. Um, but I think that's about it for Jane Novel Club, and I think we'll move on to some licenses from Kaiten Books, who, uh, in case you don't remember or haven't listened to the past episodes of the podcast, uh, they are a new publisher, uh, based in California, I believe. They're, uh, they're the ones releasing, um, uh, what was that series called? Uh, Loner Life in Another World and Shed That Skin Ry- Ryuga Saki-san, which, uh, just a quick little plug for Maxi. I, I think he has a review for uh, Ryugasaki-san in particular. Uh, he he's been really enjoying it, it seems. So I'll, I'll really have to like check that out. But uh, yeah, it, it's it seems Kaiten Books has uh, again uh, licensed at least a few more really interesting titles. Actually, 
the first one being uh, my dad's the queen of all VTubers from uh, Wataru Akashingo. Um, basically about a kid who uh, is really into this particular VTuber uh, known as Kizuki or Kizuke Yai, uh, who is the so-called queen of VTubers. Uh, Takashi in particular is an average high school student and is one of uh, one of her biggest fans. You know, always tuning into her broadcast. Might even have a little crush. But all of this is basically crushed when he finds out that uh, Yai is actually Takashi's dad. And, uh, you know, he, he basically finds out his dad's secret. And uh, from there, his whole life has changed. And so, yeah, this is this is a very funny premise. I would actually really like to read this. Yeah. Uh, no release date for this yet, but it is getting a physical and digital release from Kaiten Books, along with, uh, Uza Maid. Our maid is way too annoying from Kanko Nakamura, uh, which is basically about this little girl who lost her mother and basically, like, shuts herself away in her room from the rest of the world. Uh, her father is just constantly, desperately trying to find new maids to, like, help take care of her, but she's... It constantly like sending them away. Uh, she, I guess she's just a handful to take care of. That's until basically her father hires a, a, a literal ex military sergeant to basically take care of her. Uh, and she basically seems like, to, she seems like the only one who can like take her shit, honestly. Um, and I'm sure from there they like open up to each other and form a nice little relationship, essentially. Um, apparently this had an anime and it's on Crunchyroll for anyone who wants to, like, check that out. Yeah, unfortunately I did not hear very great things about the series. The maid's behavior towards the girl borders on pedophilic and exploited That's unfortunate. (laughs) Yeah, but I don't know, maybe the manga's different. Maybe, hopefully, but, uh, yep, anyway, for for those who want to check it out, again, no release date yet, but... This will be getting a physical and digital release. And uh, yeah, just in general, so so far, I'm, I'm still liking uh, the selection from Kaiten Books. I think they're doing pretty good at, at licensing some really interesting titles, especially with, with the last two they uh, uh, they licensed. Uh, technically, the first two, I should say. But uh, yeah, Kaiten Books will definitely have to you know keep an eye out and see what else they bring over. Most definitely. Uh, but next up, we have Manga Planet. Yeah, they have licensed the new badminton manga Missile Bird from Shizuza Io, an artist Ryuzen Kumada. And they have released the series already as of June 15th. And the first chapter will be available to read on there for free, while subsequent chapters will be available to subscribers. Uh, after a horrible one-sided match between genius badminton player Shoyuki Ayumi Tobi, our main character, swears to quit playing the sport he loves, but he happens to get into the same high school as Sho, and will he ever get the chance to shine then? Well, nothing is impossible in a sport where the smashes can go as fast as 400 kph. So this is kind of like a Haikyuu-esque scenario where he plays against you know, his rival in middle school and then ends up going to the same school and being on the same team as him. So hmm, that is interesting. interesting. Hmm. And this is a pretty recent title. It has only been running since early April, too. Oh, wow. So this is a pretty fast pickup for a uh, license. We've also got some more new Manga Planet stuff. 
that are also already out, including Butterfly Storage from Ikuri Ando, which is about a world uh, where when a person dies, their soul turns into a butterfly and flies away. But holding the toxic consciousness of the deceased, this butterfly can last for 49 days before fading away completely. So in this world, the Debt Bureau is a national agency that collects and resets the dead butterfly's souls and lets the family of the deceased interact with the data in their relative's butterfly through a CD hologram. Their duty also makes sure that included butterflies, you know, they don't end up in the wrong hands without killing or getting killed. Then we've got Flares of Kumika by Akihiro Onoknaka, and this is about a world where humans live harmoniously with aliens, and there is a kind of alien that doesn't need to eat the way humans do because they come from the impoverished planet of Chlorodium 2, where food is a luxury. These aliens live by inhaling microorganisms in the air, so Kumika is an uptight, earnest office worker, and one such alien from Chlorodium, and when a sudden cold leads her to being unable to feed herself the usual way, her co-worker comes to her rescue with a nice warm pot of udon noodles, and so after a lifetime of never having to eat food, I mean, is she gonna get hooked on eating food? Is she gonna get used to being hungry? And so the first chapters of these are also gonna be available for free on the date of their release, while the rest of these chapters are gonna be available as part of the subscription. Yeah, these both sound really interesting too. Uh, I, honestly, I'm I'm kind of a sucker for foodie manga, so I I might get on uh, Flavors of Kumika at some point. That sounds like it could be pretty interesting. Yeah, I think Flavors of Kumika has a really interesting premise. I do love food manga, so definitely interested in checking that out. And Missile Bird too, you know, badminton manga is a cool sport. So yeah, that's pretty pretty neat. But we're about done with serialists our licensing news. So now we're going to head off into some interesting news and let's talk about like an update on the story of publishers, you know, having a lawsuit against a Mangamura successor. And they have decided to dismiss uh, this lawsuit. Hmm. And, well, at least a judge has dismissed the lawsuit. Judge Louis J. Lyman of the New York Southern District Court, they have dismissed Shueisha Kadansha Katakansha joint lawsuit against the unnamed administrators of Hoshinoromi and three other U.S. hosted websites as of May 11th. You know, the four publishers, they had filed a notice of voluntary dismissal on May 8th, just a few days before, and their notice said that plaintiffs continue to pursue civil and criminal means of enforcing their rights and may refile this Litigation should defendants' infringing activities recommence or if it's otherwise necessary. So this uh, court case has been, you know, in the works since last November. You know, they conducted discovery on the identity of the defendants and complete service uh, process via email. But the subsequent legal filings noted difficulties in determining, you know, what the identities of the operators were. And while they issued several subpoenas and internet companies to obtain records that could identify the site administrators and later work with a consulting company to analyze the data, I guess that they really weren't able to come up with much. And so due to given defendants' efforts to conceal their identities and avoid service, like the publisher's lawyer requested, you know, a suspension of the service process. And, you know, I guess they had until May 20th to, you know, complete the service of process. But like, 
Yeah, I guess they just couldn't, you know, figure out the identity. Then they ran into a wall with this case, so they kind of had to dismiss it. But it's kind of like a roadblock in this path to, like, getting these pirate sites taken down. These sites allegedly hosted over 93,000 scanned volumes of manga and Yeesh. were basically successors to Mangamura, which was a Japanese manga piracy site. And, you know, were, of course, violating copyrights and earning profit from, like, their illegally distributed scanlated works. So the companies were seeking damages and the closure of the sites. And while, you know, it was speculated that Hoshi you know, Romi was named after Romeo Shino, a.k.a. Zakai Romi, an alleged administrator of Mangamura, like, I guess they couldn't, like, prove that. And the four sites being sued were inaccessible as of last September. So, you know, they're not in operation now, so that's probably another reason why they just decided to, like, stop the court case from going forward because like they can't find out who to convict and they're also not operational these illegal websites so it's just like something where no progress was being made but still the fight to enforce stricter copyright law continues as japan's you know stricter copyright law the ban on these sites that goes in effect on october 1st but like the stricter law on downloading manga and magazines in particular that goes in effect in 2021 basically the law expands to punish those who knowingly download Illegally uploaded pirated manga, magazines, academic works. That goes into effect January 1st. And so uh, the revision is still going to allow for the downloading of a few frames of manga from, you know, several different pages or more. Or posting photographs where the manga is not the focus of the video. So like being in a reflection. And the revision does not publish people who download derivative works like doujin fan fiction parodies. And then penalties for repeat offenders of illegal downloads are going to be jailed for, you know, up to two years or a maximum fine of 2 million yen, which is about 18,234 US dollars. And penalties for those operating these sites will, you know, include up to five years in prison or a maximum fine of 5 million yen or $45,686 or both. Also banned is going to be the pasting of hyperlinks to illegal sites on, on anonymous message boards or creating leech apps. So, I mean, these are pretty strict new anti-piracy laws. I think that they probably will have, like, a big effect. Will they have, like, the intended effect? I guess remains to be seen next year. But uh, this is a big step forward into, like, being much stricter about, like, illegal distribution of manga. And I guess that just speaks to the state of the industry, which, you know, in spite of the ever-rampant problem piracy seems to be doing pretty well. And so let's just talk about the state of the manga industry as described in a recent article published by Debo Wiki, where she interviewed quite a few people working in the industry right now and, like, what their thoughts on how things have been going this year. Obviously, you know, at the beginning of the year, it seemed things were going pretty well. Like, sales were really strong in both print and digital. A lot of new manga were being licensed and published, and there were new publishers popping up there were new manga apps popping up like seems things were doing pretty okay but then of course you know covid 19 game a quarantine game and so stores closed distribution slowed or have to be completely rescheduled uh, conventions closed layoffs had to happen so there's been a lot of economic uncertainty and so it seems generally things are doing 
okay for the North American market. Like Kevin Hamrick, the wise publishing of sales, it is, says like the overall manga market in North America is strong and showing positive growth again for 2020. Kurt Hasler said like the fundamentals of the North American manga market are rock solid. Kurt Hasler is like managing director at publisher at uh, Yen. And, you know, the business has been a solid upward trajectory for years. We are absolutely thrilled with our first quarter results. So there are a lot of people who are doing pretty well in the current market. Like, uh, as Hasler says, like the COVID situation threw a major wrench into the gears of publishing. So, you know, everyone is like kind of in a state of regrouping considering the circumstances. Mm hmm. I mean, uh, th- thankfully, it seems like uh, digital sales have been doing really well, if not like increasing, you know, because a lot of people are at home and, uh, you know, are obviously a lot of them either choose not to or can't buy physical copies. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. physical sales for all manga publishers are like down by half or more, according to Ben Applegate, who is at a Kadansha. And, you know, it's significantly worse than graphic novels overall. And, you know, online sales are gaining ground, but, you know, the brick and mortar stores, they still represent a relatively high share of the physical manga sales. So, you know, that's very important for manga because, you know, consumers tend to be very young and teenagers. So because the pandemic, you know, shuttered stores like junior and middle grade graphic novels were insulated from the impact thanks to parents buying online. But like more manga is purchased by teens for themselves. So yeah, with the bookstores closed, like sales have been really impacted according to masaki shimizu who is a general manager and publisher at square enix like the overall manga sales for the last five weeks uh at the time of like this article was written so like you know it's in april and may they were down 40 percent, 50 percent compared to the same time period last year and there was like a greater impact on front list titles than on backlist so like newer titles more than like uh titles that had already been put out so they're hoping the decline will be reversed But, you know, Diamond, of course, suspending their deliveries left many stores without new titles. So that affected a lot of publishers. I mean, Viz was not too badly affected. Like, their sales are better than they thought they would be. So, you know, comic book shots have been getting, you know, Viz titles from Shimon and Schuster or Ingram. Like, they have other distribution channels. So Viz has been able to navigate this pretty well. And they also, our guests are just, you know, more uh, advertised. So, like, readers know where to find these books. They're very resourceful in that way. Uh, according to Evan Salazar from Kadansha, Senior Marketing Director, the closing of bookstores did make discoverability and purchase of print titles more difficult, hindering sales and leaving us a bit exposed. But we've noticed that the demand for manga hasn't abated. So that's why Kadansha is continuing to release digitally while postponing on-sale demand for print versions of titles that were you know, announced in early April. So, you know, they continue to focus on digital sales while like, basically delaying some release of newer print stuff. But, you know, obviously the market's still there. Readers still want to read a lot of manga. Uh, People have a lot of time in their hands. So, obviously, they are looking for escapism, manga, comics, like novels and stuff. So, like, the market's growing stronger and stronger. Uh, Sales are shifting, again, to online. So, you know, physical sales are impacted, but digital is still, you know, important there. But, like, according to Dempa, you know, what... Uh, Amazon shifting away from prioritizing the delivery of books like their sales are down 70% so like again physical book distribution like really 
really hurting the sales of publishers here. Yeah, I mean, th- th- that's kind of the thing I, I got most from this article, is that out of all the publishers mentioned, that uh, Dempa seems to be the one that's struggling the most. Especially because they're a newer publisher, and they don't have a ton of their books on digital. At Dempa, digital gains were not enough to set physical sale losses. Ebooks are not distributed in bulk like paper books. The uptick in a la carte ebook sales have not really made a dent in our lost revenue. So that's very sad to hear from Dempa that they are kind of struggling right now because of what has happened. I mean, Kadan, other uh, publishers have reacted to this. You know, Kadansha does their, you know, sales of like the first volumes for like a dollar each. And so they try to like pick up New Year's that way. Yeah, that was a that was a big sale. Mm-hmm. We're seeing, of course, we've been talking about how Kadansha vertical titles have been made available on more platforms in like recent episodes, and that's also kind of in response to this. Like having, you know, their books be more accessible in more places means more chance of like people trying it out. And the fact that they have like volumes as cheap as one dollar, you know, means a lower barrier to entry. And so, you know, actually, Bookwalker had a similar promotion event called the I Couldn't Go Outside, so I just stayed in and read Light Novels All Day promotion. And they gave fans free access to 24 series and 55 volumes of Light Novels in April, and the promotion was extremely successful with tens of thousands of free downloads. And a lot of the series gained new fans from it. And they made record sales in March and April. And... Yeah, so they made a big like promotional effort, and that actually has helped their sales a lot. And also, again, because you know there's a forced migration to online. You know, a lot of manga apps like Mangamo they kind of started off in response to that, and they are seeing success because people, you know, are focusing on digital avenues to read manga. So that's an interesting aspect of this too. But of course, you know, the fact that Retail stores closed, but generally, like, you can't work in offices anymore. That has affected, like, production, distributing, especially at the lettering and editing stages, uh, according to marketing manager at Tokyo Pop, Kay Winters, because, you know, the usual team, some of the usual, their usual team isn't even able to work for homes. So it's, like, just even more complicated to communicate. Uh, according to Hasler, like everyone's telecommunicating, so they've had to find new ways to share materials and redefine what was for Yen before was like a very paper-driven business, and now they have to like move to like different ways of talking and communicating with each other. It's hurt Dempa a lot because you know getting materials approvals and contracts from Japan are requiring anywhere from like a couple weeks to a month now, a lot more time for usual. So. And this is like a long-term thing that's going to be probably impactful in a negative way down the line. And so working remotely has really caused a lot of things to run to a halt in terms of negotiating contracts with folks in Japan. I mean, really, this is like the only one not very affected in terms of communicating with licensors and their folks in their Japanese offices. But like they are the only outlier in that regard because like we saw this with all the other publishers all the other publishers like delayed their summer and fall releases well this is mostly stuck on schedule outside of rescheduling a few books oh yeah yeah for sure mm-hmm. but of course when cons canceled the usual avenues of when they would promote you know their new books has changed 
of course we're seeing like online cons like prop up that they you know i with anime expo light coming up i'm sure viz is going to do a panel there they're like one of the companies listed in promotion but like yeah they have to like rethink their digital promotion strategy think rethink about like when they will tweet about licensing announcements promote their licensing announcements uh like how to bridge the gap between you know creators fans them and customers so that's been a really difficult challenge and so Kadansha uh, mentioned that you know they participated in Comic Con's International's WonderCon at Home Initiative, where they asked creators and publishers to record panels that Comic Con can then host on their YouTube page. And then they started partnering with Funimation for their weekly anime live watches. So they're doing like all these new different ways to like just you know encourage and sustain visibility and create like an outlet for them to be able to like promote their stuff effectively. So it's kind of an uncertain time right now overall. Like Ed Chavez said that he's worried that economic fallout from this is going to lead to a reconsolidation and a reluctance to publish certain genres and intuitive voices. So Denpa is committed to like still doing that. But like, you know, they are also thinking about leaning more mainstream to help bump up their future revenue. Uh, Jane Nowakowski says, you know, this is a difficult period for many publishers to rely on print sales and that everyone in the industry is like confident there's no fundamental drop in demand for content. If anything, there's been a reinforcement of how important manga, light novels, and anime are in entertainment segments. And as all as ours states, it's just a matter of giving greater access to readers while they're unable to leave their homes. And as Hasbro states, you know, the rest of 2020 is still an open question in many respects. Uh, our goal is to remain as nimble as possible to react to how the market develops with the best strategy. And as for the impact beyond 2020, we fully respect that we will gain all the momentum we had at our backs and more in time. And so the question for now for everyone is like, when? When will things recover? When will the market return to where it used to be? Distribution channels become more regular. The bookstores reopen. That market being reestablished. Uh, it seems like the entire industry is like suffering a lot of setbacks for this. And there's been a lot of restructuring, a lot of figuring out what needs to happen next in order to get books out there and encourage sales. Some efforts have been more successful than others. This media is like the only one pretty much going about business as usual, I guess. Uh, it's going to be interesting. It's like a very tumultuous time for the industry here in North America. And I think we're really going to have to see, like, when things reopen, like, when people have, are able to, like, figure out kind of how to operate effectively and efficiently in this new place and then readjust to meet new expectations that might be a little humbler, a little slower. It's going to be a huge amount of upheaval in terms of reorganizing. So, I mean... I don't know how long this situation that we're in is going to last. It could be through the end of the year, it could go into next year. And I guess that's just a question on everyone's mind. But I think that long term, I guess people need to think about, I mean, that this might not change for the foreseeable future, like the way things are currently operating, the way distribution has been affected. So how to work within that space for now while still being able to effectively transition when things do reopen is going to be a big challenge. So again, it's this is like a developing situation, developing story. I thought this was a very fascinating article. 
And it really sheds some light on some interesting things that I hadn't even considered, like how people are being affected, how publishers are being affected. So, yeah, we will continue to follow this going forward. Yeah, this was a very informative article, and uh, I know we kind of went over like a lot of it, but if anyone wants to like read this for themselves, we'll definitely leave a link in the show notes. There was also a sister article to this that Deb published uh, about like what titles are like trending now in terms of manga in different genres, and we'll also link that. There's some like interesting things that are kind of doing well right now in this current climate, like some new series that have actually hit their stride really well. Like Saint Young Men has been a big hit for Kadansha that they didn't even expect it beat their expectations in print. But yeah, um, I don't know. Like I personally, I feel like I'm, I'm glad things are kind of, uh, I mean, things are, like you said, they're uncertain, but I, I think it seems like things are stabilizing at the very least. And again, it's a good thing that like, you know, there's still a demand for manga. I mean, I, I know for I know for as long as we're home, I'm sure we can. We're I'm sure we're always up for uh, you know just having more manga to read to help pass the time as as the world hopefully gets better. But uh, I don't know. I I think at, at the very least, I think like because I know there was a time, uh, at least I want to say like a decade where like I know manga was not doing very well at all. Uh, it really wasn't until yeah, the, like really the wasn't bubble a, crash in the late two thousands when borders closed. Like the economy was just terrible right now. That was like a huge low point for the industry. And then like kind of in the mid twenty tens, we saw things recover and then you know be really strong in the last couple of uh you know years. And now this is like another big setback. So I think we'll see like how the industry will be affected by this yeah i feel like the fact that there are so many big titles and the fact that digital is more established now will help things i don't think that we'll see like a crash like before but i do worry for like smaller publishers like dempa that might not be able to adapt as quickly and don't have like big hits under their belt that they could coast on yeah I mean that that that's true. I completely agree. I was going to say the same thing. I I I don't think we're going to get. I don't think we're going to get to that point that we were arguably around like two thousand nine, two thousand ten. You know, somewhere around there. I I think I think everything will be better than that. But it's like it's like you said. Yeah, publishers like Dempa are possibly going to suffer some huge setbacks, and uh, we're we're really hoping uh, for. I'm holding out for Demper in particular because it cannot be easy for them to uh for them right now. So. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I think uh, yeah, like you said, this is a developing story as long as COVID is still a thing, which arguably may very well be for at least like another year or so. I I think personally um just the way things are going right now, but uh I think in general we'll be we'll be we'll be fine. I think we'll be I think we'll be able to bounce back from this at least. Mm. But COVID again is causing some really unprecedented delays and again forcing a lot of studios, a lot of publishers to rethink how they schedule things when they release things. This includes like what had until this point been yearly staples of Japanese film going. The Detective Conan film, the latest one, uh, The Scarlet Bullet, is being rescheduled to next April, like a full year later. 
And so that's just kind of an interesting little thing about, man, like, this situation is that severe that they decided to, like, oh, okay, we're going to just wait a full year to release this film. I'm surprised they didn't consider digital distribution, but I don't know if Japan is, like, as eager to go for that with film right now. And especially because Conan's such a big box office draw. But I just thought that was like an interesting little tidbit. Also interesting is that the Song of the Hedgehog film is getting a sequel. And Jeff Fowler is returning as director. With Pat Casey and Josh Miller returning as scriptwriters. So I guess we're going to see Sonic and Tails in on Adventure on the next one. Because that's how the film ended. And so that'll be fun. And I actually quite enjoy the Sonic film. It actually had a lot of heart to it. Uh, they got to bring back Jim Carrey as Eggman, of course, because he was like the best part about it. And then he completed his transformation into Eggman by the end of that film. So, yeah, we got to see more of that. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next Sonic Hedgehog film for sure. You know, I, I went into the Sonic movie just kind of I, I did like I was not expecting like a good movie. And even then, I don't know if I would necessarily call it like a good movie, but like. I still had a lot of fun with it, and I mean, if if I if I had to pick any film to watch before the end, uh, before the end times of all movie theaters, seemingly, um, not to get too down, but you know, I wouldn't have had it any other way. Honestly, um, it was really fun, and I'm I'm not gonna lie, I got really excited actually for that uh, post credit scene, which. Uh, you know, I'm I'm sure most people know what that is at this point, but I won't say just in case anyone hasn't seen the movie. But spoiler alert, yeah, th- like you could totally tell they were wanting to get a sequel out, and it looks like that's that's what's going to happen. So I'm definitely looking forward to the next one. I I'm I'm thinking I think the next one will be even better, honestly. Yeah, hopefully they manage to work in Knuckles and bring in some other characters too. That would be that would be really cool. Speaking of uh, things to look forward to, so some interesting news came about uh, at the time of this recording uh, a few days ago. An interesting article from, uh, I guess, both Variety and Deadline reported that Amazon is developing an English language live action adaptation of The Promised Neverland. That's right. We are getting another live action adaptation of The Promised Neverland. Uh, it seems like it's going to be like a Amazon original series kind of thing. And is going to be directed by Rodney Rothman, who was a director on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And uh, will be written by Megan Malloy, who was also, I guess, a part of the Spider-Verse crew. Um, I mean, looking her up on um, on IMDb, uh, it seems like this is like her first actual writing credit, as far as I can tell anyway. And uh, it looks like... Uh, it looks like Rothman is also like an executive producer along with Masioka, who, uh, for those who don't know, was a producer on uh, on Heroes and uh, the live action Death Note movie on Netflix, as well as the upcoming Hollywood Attack on Titan film, which honestly, until right now, I totally forgot that was coming still. And so, yeah, it's going to be produced by uh, Fox 21 Television Studios and Amazon Studios, obviously, and uh that's really about all we know about this so far. Honestly, I I mean as as lukewarm as I am on the Promised Neverland right now d- due to the nature of its ending and where the story's gone, like I I would I mean honestly like fr- from from the few Amazon original series I've I've actually watched, like 
I'd, I'm actually pretty up for what they would do with the Promised Everland. I don't know. I'd be interested. At, at the very least, uh, one thing I hope that this adaptation will have over the Japanese adaptation that's possibly still coming out at the end of this year in Japan. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But I'm hoping the one thing this has over that is that they won't whitewash Crone. You know, that would be nice. But yeah. We'll have to see. Maybe rewrite her character a bit, too. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Lum, do you have any thoughts? We really don't know anything else about it. I mean, I liked Into the Spider-Verse, so people who worked on Into the Spider-Verse being a part of this is promising. So I think that could be cool. There's been so many announcements of live-action Hollywood adaptations of anime manga stuff recently that I'm kind of like, well, I want to see this get made first now. Like, a lot of projects are being greenlit. Will they see it a lot of day? I guess we have to wait and see. But I'm kind of just want to be there already. Be there at this point where all these are coming out. Yeah, I mean, it's... See, this is also the kind of thing that I... Obviously, COVID is really gonna like i'm sure push a lot of these projects back in terms of production so like i I mean honestly who who knows when a lot of these will come out at this point i think yeah especially for like you know a live action series they can't begin filming yet or anything so this is gonna be a while before this will actually see like the light of day yeah i think it at least shows like how much faith they have in these properties to where in that you know, they're already, like, greenlighting a lot of these when it's very possible that they can't even start production on them yet, you know? Mm-hmm. The, I'm, I'm sure they think that they'll still do that well, that even with a lot of these productions, possibly on hiatus, most likely, that they still think that there'll still be, a, a like, an audience for them, which I think is interesting. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm interested in... I, I would at least check this out. I think Promise Neverland, if you're going to turn anything into a live action adaptation i think promised neverland is like one of the few anime properties that you could do like convincingly yeah but uh yeah there's really not much else to say on that i guess we'll have to look forward to that when it comes but uh Lum, we have some anime news to talk about yeah i mean we have two big anime announcements first up is even zero has been greenlit for an anime adaptation it's been about two years since it's been running so i figure it's been about time but yeah i mean even mashima himself tweeted out the news like just the morning of this recording so yeah that's in the works but i think even more exciting and which complain uh which came completely as a surprise unexpectedly like last night on the day of this recording was the announcement that there is gonna be a new shaman king anime uh adaptation of shaman king that will cover the complete story of all of the manga and is gonna debut next april april 2021 i'm i'm assuming this means we're gonna get an adaptation of like the updated version of the story. Yeah, they said all 35 volumes, as in all the volumes of the complete story. Not just the 32 volumes that were from the jump run, but this is the complete story. And not only that, the preview used Oversoul, sung by Megumi Hayashibara, the first opening thing of of the original anime, meaning that you know, Takei's condition was always that, that I get approached to remake Shaman King all the time. 
but I won't do it unless the voice actors return, especially Megumi Hayashibara. I think they got there. I think they got Megumi Hayashibara back to do Anna. And I guess, I don't know, maybe I guess they're going to just keep over Soul as the opening team. Or maybe they'll do like a new version. Yeah, maybe they'll do a new version. Maybe they'll have Hayashibara sing a new song for this, make a new uh, opening theme for this. But yeah, I guess this is a promising sign that the original voice cast of the old show is also going to be coming back, or at least Hayashibara is. That's also pretty exciting. Mm, yeah, this is this is really exciting. I mean, not not just because we're getting a new Shaman King anime, but also because I'm really hoping this will finally convince Kodansha to release the the new edition of the manga over here. Please, 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 please. I I, I want to read it. I need to read it. Uh, there was like an explosion of enthusiasm when this news leaked last night. So many people I saw were just like so excited for this. I think that. There is such a demand to see Shaolin King relicensed and made available. I think Kadansha absolutely has to go for it. Has to time it out to go inside for when this new anime comes out. Like, it'd be such a missed opportunity if they didn't. I would be really sad if they didn't. Like, I, I feel like it's like you said, I feel like there's enough demand to where it probably, like, it's, to where it warrants a new release, honestly. Especially since, as far as I can tell, that... The, the the older Shonen Jump release from Viz probably is going to get a lot harder to find if it isn't already. So I, I, I think V-Lord might have tweeted about this already. But uh, one thing that I'm also kind of worried about that I guess we'll have to wait and see is the one thing I'm worried about with this adaptation is I'm worried that they're going to do what um, I forget the studio's name off the top of my head. I, I'm afraid this Mappa, been- what Mappa did with... Uh- Kakuri Circus, or even like what studio did with uh, Hoshinenge anime. Uh, yeah, I hope they don't do one volume uh, per episode. I really hope well, not. Well, Shaman King is a very fight heavy series, so to be honest, I don't think you need like a ton of episodes for it. I think there are some volumes you could do an episode that are like just a volume that is devoted to like one fight that you could probably cover an episode but like i think i thought about this recently and i feel like you could do it in 52 episodes i think you could do like four cores and that could be pretty decently paced Mm. do you do you think they could do it in less than that because i think that's that's also a question see if you do less than that if you do street cores then you're running to the problem of doing a volume per episode which is definitely not what you want there needs to there are parts of that story that need to be adapted slower and then there are parts that you can go through pretty fast that aren't as important. They're like fights that last volume that, you know, are just fights. You don't need to spend, like, multiple episodes on them necessarily. But, like, there's story parts that you do want to actually make sure you're spending the time to, like, explore properly. So it's like a balance of, like, different parts of the story you... How fast you adapt them to. Like Ushio and Tora found a great balance of like what parts to adapt at what pace. And like what parts of the story they removed. Yet it didn't feel like anything was missing. Like there are a ton of fights in Ushio and Tora that they took out. There is like an entire arc of Ushio and Tora that they took out. That introduced characters even that show up in later parts of the story. And yet it never felt like anything was miss- missing if you were just watching the anime. Like they knew what to keep so you could understand understand the story understand the character arcs the core of it and ha- and be satisfied with the way everything like was resolved yeah it's too bad they didn't really end up doing that same kind of thing with car curry circus as well 
Karakur Circus was just so much longer that they just tried to cram in even more and that they just, I don't think they kept track of the pacing. I think Karakur Circus also had a lot less fluff than Ushu and Tora too, so that was just a series that they couldn't do the same way. Like, Ushu and Tora had, like, downtime arcs. It had, like, you know, kind of just asides that you could remove. And similarly, Shaman King, I don't know if Shaman King has, like, those kind of same, like, asides that you can remove necessarily, but Shaman King does have, like, parts of the story that, like, kind of go off in a direction that doesn't really lead anywhere, and then Takei kind of course-corrected and went back in a different direction. Like, there's that famous chapter where at the end of it, Tao Ren, like, wakes up, and you think he's gonna, like accept Marco like killing him or something but then the next chapter it opens him still like in his coma state and the chapter progresses as if that didn't happen at the end of the last chapter <sighs> so it's, it's there's stuff like that there's stuff like where there's setup or there's like build up to things that don't actually necessarily have a big payoff that you can like kind of streamline I mean I, I, you know I, I agree that like you know if Shaman King is as action heavy as uh you know as you say it is and like yeah then maybe maybe it could be done but like yeah there there is there is still that one fear that one cloud kind of hanging over us where it's like it's it's a possibility but i'm gonna hope that they won't go that route and that they will like i'm sure i'm sure they'll bulldoze through whatever they can or need to but like hopefully they'll still give the story time to actually breathe like that's that's like that's like the one thing that really just like took me out of Hoshinengi in particular. I couldn't make it past like the like the first two episodes because it it was it was just constant story story story. Like no 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 time for me to take that in whatsoever. It just turned me off. So yeah, that was like literally a volume episode, which was like absolutely the wrong move because that's actually a fairly dense story, honestly, in terms of plotting. Like you can't, you can't streamline it that fast. But I, I guess we'll just have to wait until next year. Um, and again, you know, even 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 if the anime isn't like necessarily perfect, again, hopefully we'll still have a chance to see the manga over here. So, yeah, I mean, they they know what the audience wants with this trailer. Like they ended by teasing Matamune, so that, like they they know they know what the fans want to see. They know they want to see this full story. So. Um, but yeah, that's exciting, and I can't wait. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so now let's get into some cool little polls. We have the result of the NHK Evangelion poll, which ranked like the favorite characters in Evangelion. So we can go from bottom to top here. At number 10, we had Gendo. One of the worst dads in anime, still one of the most popular <laughs> characters. At number nine, we have everyone's favorite lesbian, Maya Buki. Ranking above her crush, Ritsuko, who is a more major character, but I, I don't know. I guess, they, I guess fans don't like Ritsuko as much. That surprises me. I am so surprised Ritsuko is not in this top ten. Like She's like one of the main characters. So anyway, Pen Pen is more popular than her. <laughs> the Penguin at number eight. Kaji comes in at number seven. And then we got finally the Ava pilots. We got Mari Makanami Illustrious at number six. Way too high for a character I think is just kind of pointless and overrated. Just like an additional character to sell action figures about. But I don't know. <laughs> she comes in outside of top five at number six. Then we have Misato. 
the most relatable character, the most uh, the character easiest to empathize with, most mature. Number five, got Shinji outside the top three at number four. Because even though Shinji is the main character, even though, you know, we all like love to support him and empathize with his struggle, uh, the top three characters are easily the most popular characters. Because we have Rei at number three, we have Kaoru, everyone's favorite character who was only in one episode in the original series, but got an expanded role in the rebuilds. But incredibly iconic for what he represents in the series, regardless, he's at number two. And then Asuka comes out on top at number one, as she would be happy to. Always the best for Asuka, she always has to be on top. So glad to see that the fans agree. And then in the ranks for the top three lines, uh, there was No, You Won't Die, I'll Protect You from Ray was number one. I think it's okay from Sp- to smile from Shinji with number two, and I mustn't run away. I'll do it. I'll pilot it with number three. I mean, for me, I mustn't run away is like the most iconic line. I think for a lot of fans, it is. But yeah, those were the top lines, and the, the top Ava results were Unit O One, Unit O One Awaken, and Mark Six. And then for the top Angels, Sixth Angel, Kaoru, and Tenth Angel were the top Angels. So, pretty interesting results. Uh, the respondents of this poll were 57.5% male, 42.5% female, 31.1% of the respondents were under 19, 24.2 were in the 20s, 21.9 were in the 30s, 14.8 were in the 40s, 7.5 were in the 50s, and less than 1% were in the 60s. I mean, there's no surprise there. I mean, I'm more surprised that there are actually quite a number of people in their 40s. But, yeah, definitely the bulk of Evangelion fans are young, like in their 20s or actually much younger. And that's skew towards more of a male audience, but still relatively even. But, yeah, I love these NHK polls. I think these were some interesting results. I mean, it wasn't as massive as the Rumiko Takahashi one. But I'm interested in the, like the next anime manga property that they'll tackle and what the results of that would be. I would really love to see like them do like a Dragon Ball Toriyama poll. That would be really cool. Yeah, that would be pretty neat. But now we're going to rev up for the ending of this podcast by going over the Chainsaw Man popularity poll results, which were also pretty cray-cray and pretty cool. Let's go over the Japanese results first. At number 10, we have Yoshida, who is a character I still struggle to remember a ton of things about, even though he was in this last arc, but he kind of gets overshadowed by the other characters. He had like that one scene where he killed like one of the assassin brothers. I think he had like octopus devil powers or whatever, but I guess, you know, he's handsome and he's like kind of mysterious. So he comes in at number 10 and number nine, we got Pochita, the mascot character who's only in the first chapter, but keeps showing up again. Still, you know, in Denji's dreams and whatnot. <laughs> Pochita comes in at number nine with about 9,227 votes. And then at number eight, we have Kobeni, everyone's favorite hapless, unfortunate soul who continually gets crapped on and gets in to terrible accidents, especially regarding your car. Kobeni comes at number eight with about 9,580 votes, just edged out by her own car, which was one of the MVPs of the last arc. Kobeni's <laughs> car comes in at number seven with 9,878 votes. Then at number six, we have the Angel Devil with about 18,000 uh, 
no, 16,374 votes. And then go into the top five. That's where we find Genji, our main character. He's not the most popular character, but he's our main character. He is 18,302 votes. Then we have Reze coming in at number four with 19,079 votes. And then entering our top three, we have Aki with uh, 25,704 votes. Makima comes in at number two with 27,224 votes. And Power is the most powerful character in Chainsaw Man because she's number one with 35,268 votes. That's like double the votes of Denji. Power is on top. Power Damn. is the most popular. Power is the best. And in terms of some other characters, uh, Hidden and came in at number 11 with about 7,167 votes. And then I believe Beam was number 12th. And I don't remember how many votes he had. But if you're a Beam fan, you will probably like the English results a little bit better because Beam is on there. To go from bottom to top with this one, Darkness Devil was number 10, Angel Devil was number 9. Darkness Devil being number 10 is really interesting actually considering... Darkness Devil would have just shown up in the series when this poll was being released. So, like, he made a lot of impression on uh, English language readers. But Kobeni came in at number eight, and Beam is there at number seven. Yeah. Koshida is at number six. Reze is number five. Aki, number four. Makima, number three. Power, number two. And in the English results, actually, Denji is the most popular character at number one. But some interesting differences there, some interesting things that are in... Uh, the English top 10 that aren't in the Japanese and vice versa. But, you know, there are a lot of popular characters. Chainsaw Man is notable for having a lot of popular female characters in particular, which is really great. And, yeah, I think this is a cool list. I think this was a really awesome popularity poll. Yeah, not, not, not much else to add there other than uh, add Chainsaw Man to the list of Shonen Jump series where the main character isn't even number one on their own popularity poll. And where a meme vote can rank really, really high. Oh, yeah. I'm very okay with Power being number one. Um, I think I voted for Beam on on both the Japanese and the and the English poll. So it's it's nice to see it's nice to see him ranking the English one anyway. Yeah, I mean, now that he's dead, I mean, I don't know if he'll rank in the next one, how high he'll rank <laughs> in the next one. But, eh, you know, we'll never see. Huh, I don't know. I've, I've seen some series where... Dead characters, if they leave a good enough impression, they still, yeah. They, I mean, Reze. Still, yeah. Reze is number four here. She beat Denji in the popular portal, and she's done. And Himeno would still rank pretty highly despite dying, too. So, yeah, I, I was, I was gonna say earlier, yeah, Re- Reze really left an impression. So, like, I'm, I'm not that surprised she's in, she's in the top 10. So, most definitely. Hey guys, it's Colton. I'm just, uh, cutting into the episode here to, uh, to bring you guys two pieces of news that I thought were bringing up on this episode in particular. The first of which being that Manga Planet is going to be posting uh, some series by Nobuyuki Fukumoto. And if you don't know who Fukumoto is, uh, he's basically the one responsible for uh, Kaiji, uh, as well as a lot of different other manga that are just now, thanks to Manga Planet, being brought over in English. Um, so not only is Kaiji coming to Manga Planet on June 23rd, uh, we also have his other series uh, known as The Legend of the Strongest Kurosawa and Gambling Emperor Legend Zero. Uh, Kurosawa in particular is basically about a guy in his 40s who's uh, 
uh, has basically kind of hit a rut in his life and essentially, you know, goes out of his way to try to, uh, you know, bring some excitement in his life through all kinds of sh- uh, shenanigans and whatnot. Uh, so that sounds like it could be pretty interesting. And then Zero basically sounds like um, it basically sounds like Kaiji, except uh, uh, the main character Zero seems to be like a Robin Hood figure uh, who basically takes money from from the rich and gives it to the poor kind of thing. And uh, he ends up in uh, in this big gambling competition tournament thing. Uh, judging from the cover art, it basically looks like it. It, it kind of looks like Kaiji if Kaiji were like slightly prettier. It's kind of interesting, actually. But uh, so, like I said, uh, the original Kaiji manga will be on Manga Planet on June twenty third, and then actually Zero will be on Manga Planet on June twenty third as well. Uh, Kurosawa will be on Manga Planet on June 22nd, so, uh, pretty soon after this podcast comes out, uh, you'll pretty much have access to all three of these titles. Uh, obviously with Manga Planet, the, uh, the first couple chapters of all these series will be free, uh, with the remaining chapters being available via their subscription service. And honestly, at this point, if you weren't interested in picking up Manga Planet, you know, before I feel like if you're a Fukumoto fan and you want to support Kaiji, especially, uh, this is probably this is probably going to convince a few people to pick up a subscription. Uh, I know I want to pretty soon. Um, I've always wanted to read more Fukumoto stuff, so this is really awesome. And then, uh, as far as you know, other subscription services go, it was also announced uh, by Shonen Jump uh, that Blue Flag is now available on the Shonen Jump app uh, at this moment. You can read the first 12 chapters of Blue Flag. That's essentially the uh, the first two volumes. And uh, it was actually mentioned by Sasaki-san himself on his personal account uh, that they will be adding new chapters of Blue Flag every two months. So I'm assuming they're going to be adding, like, pro- probably a volume's worth of chapters so essentially, it looks like we're probably going to be getting Volume 3 of Blue Flag on the Shonen Jump app, hopefully this August, if that tweet is correct. So that's really interesting that we're actually getting a timetable on uh, on the release of Blue Flag on the um, on the Jump app. I don't know if Sasaki has given that kind of info for anything else before, but it, it, it's, it's, ki- it's kind of good to know, like, when these things will come up on the Jump app, like, ahead of time. I mean... Um, I mean, in general, Viz has been pretty good about adding new volumes of, like, Demon Slayer and Act Age and Jujutsu Kaisen, like, all before their print volumes come out in general, which is good. Uh, but it, it's nice to get, like, a confirmed timetable uh, for this kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if if you've wanted to read Blue Flag but uh, missed your chance on Manga Plus, uh, now all you have to do is just wait every couple of months and you'll get to read a, you'll, you'll get to read a, a batch of new chapters. Um we don't mention it on this episode, but uh, if you sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, uh, you will basically get to listen to an upcoming episode where we talk about Blue Flag. I essentially got to read the first volume of Blue Flag and kind of got to talk about my first impressions on the series so far. Uh, and then I had to kind of leave in the middle of the conversation because it was basically time for everybody else on that podcast to talk about Blue Flag in its entirety, and I didn't want to be spoiled, so... Uh, if you sign up for our Patreon right now, again, patreon.com slash manga mavericks, and you sign up for our $2 tier, you will get to listen to that episode early. 
Um, otherwise, that episode should be out within a few weeks. But again, more info on that kind of stuff on the next episode. Again, just wanted to pop in here and uh, let you guys know about some other pieces of news that came up while we were editing this episode. And now uh, back to the show. But that about covers like all the news and miscellaneous stuff we wanted to talk about. So now we'll kind of dive into some community shout outs. So recently there's been a lot of fundraising efforts to, you know, raise money for charities, for businesses in need that have been kind of hurt by recent protests or damage, you know, because of like everything that's been going on. And so Weekly Monk Recap did a charity stream that you can watch on their Twitch channel. It was like a 12 hour charity stream that they did where they raised over $6,000 for wow. the Do Nord like a uh, recovery uh, fund that will help like Minneapolis businesses, you know, rebuild after like some recent uh, unfortunate, you know, damages. So that was really awesome of them. It was a great stream where they uh, talk about wrestling for a little bit and their problems with what the WWE has done recently and how they've operated their business in this time of quarantine. And then also they spend like two hours ranking all the Gen 1 Pokemon in a tier maker and then the MCU films. Of course, the latest episode of Weekly Monk Recap is included in the stream. It's a great time. I love Weekly Monk Recap uh, stuff and I think this was an awesome thing they did. Definitely check it out. It's like 12 hours of really great entertainment. I want to shout out also uh, Wednesdaydale Cheddar's new podcast, Duckface Diaries, where he's going, where they're going over World Trigger and also posting like short little podcasts on various series from Jump that they're reading, like one shots on Zip Man and stuff like that. Always enjoy Wednesdaydale's vlogs and videos and podcasts, and you can find. Uh, Duckface Diaries on a, any uh, podcast platform of choice. And I also want to shout out Tomo Chocho, which is a Yori-focused podcast that has recently started up a new Patreon. They're a great show that focuses on Yuri. They have a ton of really fun discussions, great insights, and I really enjoy listening to the show and definitely think that you should support them. I also think you should support it the Knickknacks Kickstarter. Knickknacks is one of my favorite like YouTube shows where Pop Arena goes through like every Nickelodeon show in chronological order and does amazing research, going really deep in depth on them and like where they were in the context of a like, Nickelodeon's history and also what makes them unique and interesting and. They have, you know, opened up a Kickstarter to fund, like, a book that is basically going to be about the history of Nickelodeon, basically kind of all their videos in book form in terms of, like, the research essays, but even more so added on to that. It's already actually fully funded, but, you know, there's still, like, a lot more that can be done with, like, additional resources in terms of extra research and interviews, and... There's a cool tier that they have on the Kickstarter where if you pledge $50, you can have the opportunity to have him review like a episode of any Nickelodeon show of your choice, which is also really cool. Definitely support that Kickstarter out. 
In terms of other great D-Tive uh, research articles, Consentia recently did a feature on a quote-unquote lost 1994 VHS tape of Curse of the Blood Rubies, which was a really interesting article to read of, like, when they discovered this tape, what it is, like, how they got a hands on it, like, what the slight differences between the dub available on this tape and the actual original dub of Curse of the Blood Rubies that was released were in terms of, like, name changes from the original uh, Harmony Gold dub that they tried to keep in and then other weird name changes that they made in this initial test dub were. Like, it's a really fascinating article and I love reading the stuff about, like, early fandom research and hunting down, like, this obscure memorabilia and trying to document it. So it's another great feature. And kind of relevant to the climate of the day, I want to recommend an article of... You know, Pride Policing and Conservative Politics of MHA, which kind of looks at MHA and how it presents heroes in the society is kind of like a police force and kind of the problematic aspects of that. But also like how in particular it depicts like villains as like marginalized uh, people and how it kind of doesn't really address like the fact that you know, there needs to be systems of support in place to help marginalized people, but and instead the series kind of condemns them for, like, speaking out against the system and, like, how MHA is ultimately kind of more pro-status quo and isn't really kind of considerate about, like, the efforts of the marginalized to, you know, have their needs and issues addressed and you know get the help they need so i thought that was a really interesting article that does tackle on an aspect of mha that i had always kind of thought about was a little under explored or misexplored since so many of the villains in mha are like characters with like mental illnesses or and just like in need of help but like they are kind of demonized by society and it's not the focus of the story really isn't on that aspect. And then of course, heroes in general as a concept are kind of like a glorified police force. So it was a really interesting article from that lens. Then in terms of some just final things I want to recommend, Marion did a really great uh, review of ping pong recently. Our good friend, you know, microwavy uh, post of a good, Friends Anime Podcast and Demon Slayer Podcast, like, they did a great review of Ping Pong on uh, the Shonen Sunday blog that Sakaki runs that really goes into the depth of, like, the story and analyzing the characters and the art. And it's, like, really, really insightful and incredible analysis. I really recommend that. It's, like, just a superb analysis and then uh, a final fun thing i really like is a recent series on anime herald called eyes on yokai that looks at how yokai are depicted in various pop culture media and they did a recent one on inuyasha that i really really enjoyed and like how they kind of look at how yokai are depicted in that series and then like how they are explored in the in the context and uh, like how characters in that series are influenced by their yokai origins. So that was really cool. And, uh, oh, actually, uh, Erica also did a Yuri panel recently on her YouTube channel that I really enjoyed too, where she just talked about the state of Yuri as it is now an answered question. So uh, that's another thing I'd just like to shout out as well. But yeah, a lot of uh, shout outs this time. A lot of people have been doing some great work. So I just wanted to, you know, 
you know, uh, shout out to so many pe- a lot of people and uh, encourage you to check them out. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess that's about it for community shout outs. Uh, definitely uh, go follow all of those lovely people and the work they do. Uh, we'll be leaving links in the show notes uh, for sure, like always. And uh, I guess before we wrap up the show, just to kind of talk about the next episode, uh, which should be edited and should be ready to come out uh, soon after this episode, uh, one that uh, I've been working on uh, editing and one that, uh, you know, we're really looking forward to having out is our uh, retrospective discussion review of Cross Manage from Kaito. Um, we, uh, I, I recently read through that for the first time, uh, took me way too long to get to it, honestly, cause, uh, I, spoiler alert, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, we had a lot of really great guests on the talk about, uh, we had on Aisha, uh, otherwise known as Mama Loves Manga, uh, to talk about it along with our good friends, um, Marion or Microwavy on Twitter, as well as, uh, Maxi Bernard, a friendship ever victory. So, um, it's te- it's technically another like a canceled Shonen Jump manga podcast, but it's it's possibly our best one, our our most comprehensive discussion. I think uh, we had a lot to say about Cross Manage, and uh, for those of you who are a fan of Cross Manage and Kaito in particular, uh, you'll want to definitely look forward to that episode. And uh, yeah, I I can't wait for that episode to come out. I had a lot of fun uh, recording that one. So yeah, one of our Kaito episodes are really excellent that we go really deep into those stories and what makes Kaito such a great storyteller. So definitely look forward to our cross management blue flag episodes coming out really, really soon. All right. But uh, I think that's going to be about it for this episode. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed all the news and whatnot and uh, look forward to uh, look forward to future episodes of the podcast. But for now, Lum, let's plug our stuff. Where can the good people find you? You can find me at Lum Ramayasha on Twitter, and it's Lum Ramayasha in a variety of places like Animation Revelation and Annialist. Wherever there's a Lum Ramayasha, that's where you can find me. You can read my manga reviews on allthatscomer.com. We've got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going out, so definitely look forward to all those on there. You can also follow Lum Squad, the USA Oxra focused podcast that I host, on its new podcast feed that I set up just type in hashtag alum squad on any podcast platform you can think of or at least most of them is we're on apple Podcasts, we're on spotify we're on anchor and so you can find Lum squad there we're recording regular episodes releasing the monthly so if you love your siastra definitely check that out and if you want to check out more of my artwork you can follow my instagram at the sid artworks on instagram and twitter all right, please go follow all Lum stuff. Go listen to hashtag Lum Squad, especially now that it has its own feed. Please go support that. Uh, you know, if you enjoyed that podcast, leave a rating, leave a review. Let let Lum know that you enjoy Lum Squad. As for my stuff, I'm Colton. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also uh, host and or produce a few other podcasts on the side besides this one, uh, all of which you can uh, find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. I have links to shows such as uh, this and Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast, uh, and uh, One Podcast Prevails, and all, all kinds of stuff that uh, I don't really have the time to mention here. That's why I have a, a page for it. But uh, anyway, as for all comic and the podcast... Uh, you can follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash all comic underscore 
Oh, I also I forgot to mention, you can find every episode of the Manga Mavericks podcast over at all-comic.com in general, uh, unless you want to subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. If you sign up for our $2 tier, you have the chance to basically listen to early editions of our episodes uh, before we post them on the main feed if we if we happen to have them edited early enough. Or if you're interested in some of our bonus content, uh, you can uh, you can subscribe to our five dollar tier, where we post a new bonus podcast at the end of every month. We have a whole ton of we have a, a year's worth of bonus content you can listen to, uh, everything from one off manga reviews to episodes of manga fights at movies, um, and uh, episodes of our side series, uh, the Manga Mavericks Book Club where we talk about uh, different manga that we may have talked about in the Manga Mavericks podcast, but we kind of go a little more in depth by talking about them volume by volume. Uh, right now, uh, we are currently covering Saint Seiya from Masami Kuramata, the original Saint Seiya manga, as released by Viz, uh, where I'm reading it for the first time along with my friend Doc from the Ask Backwards Anime Podcasting Network. Well, actually, this is coming out in June, so actually this month would be the My Brother's Husband episode. That's right. Thank you. I, I forgot. Yes. Uh, I should also mention... Uh, we we did we did take a break from that podcast to post uh one off reviews of both uh my solo exchange diary and my brother's husband which thank thankfully Lum mentioned that that will be coming soon uh my mistake um but yeah we we have so much bonus content right now that like it's it's kind of hard to go over all of right now but um you know if if you're interested in any of that that's all available to you at the five dollar tier again at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. And so, yeah, uh, just continuing from that, uh, if you want to follow Manga Mavericks specifically, uh, you want to follow us on Twitter at Manga underscore Mavericks, or you can follow us on Tumblr at MangaMavericks.dumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash Manga Mavericks. Uh, email us anything at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Uh, if you have any thoughts on any of the news pieces we covered or, uh, you know, just if you just want to tell us like what you're reading or t- tell us what manga we should talk about on the show, uh, anything manga related, we'll definitely read it on the show. Again, send us those emails at mangamavericks at gmail.com. We love getting emails. Uh, but the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on uh, Apple Podcasts or basically wherever podcasts are sold. Um, you know, we're on a bunch of different platforms, including, again, Apple Podcasts and Spotify and basically everywhere else. You know, especially on Apple Podcasts, though, uh, we really appreciate ratings and reviews on there because it really helps the visibility of our show on that platform in particular. And uh, yeah, you know, just go, go ahead and do that if you have the time. Uh, we'd really appreciate it if you, if you did. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to be about it for the show. Uh, again, this has been episode 123 of the Manga Mavericks podcast on allcomic.com. We will see you guys next time for episode 124. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.